football poop is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So, Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson with an action packed show. We'll tell you all about it right after we tell you about our friends over at Monkey Knife Fight. You've been hearing me talk about it for quite a while. When you put $20 into the, your account at Monkey Knife Fight while using the promo code PFF, you, you, you get a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's $40 of value for just your 20 bucks. Plus, you get to turn that 20 into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at the fastest growing fantasy sports site in the u.s it's monkey knife fight go to monkey knife fight deposit your 20 use the promo code pff today to receive a free pff edge annual subscription we also have a great deal with our friends over at action pro subscribe to pff elite annual so you go to pff elite subscribe to it at pff.com but use the promo code action to receive a year of elite subscription access plus one year of action pro subscription access for just the 199.99 that's a great deal right there this is a limited time offer and is currently only made available now through the super bowl that's february 7th 2021 are we sure that's the super bowl date somebody checked that i don't think it is this offer also only applies to first time elite annual subscribers so you get elite and action pro all in one it uh, it is <sighs> but it's mm. definitely not on 2020 no it's definitely not february 7th february 20, 7th 2021 so i was half right i mentioned an action-packed show there's a lot going on here at pff this week first off amy trask is on the show today yes and dare i say <clears throat> it might be the best interview we've ever done you can't say that because otherwise steve steve smith will get mad at you do you think steve's listening to us right now is he one of the millions i think somebody might report back to steve smith and then you're in trouble okay she's almost as good as steve smith there you go. i'm afraid of steve but amy trask is fantastic the uh of cbs sports and former ceo of the raiders so stick around for that also i just want to ask our dedicated listeners right now really quick what you're going to do you're going to pause the podcast not yet because you got to hear what i'm going to say after i finish what i'm going to say pause it go to wherever you listen to your podcasts search pff nfl daily and there we are it's live yeah the daily is live just go click subscribe you need us in your inbox every day monday through friday it's the pff nfl daily started today i think the trailer is pretty good but after the trailer we talk a little carson wentz and jalen hurts today so yeah it's pretty great yeah daily podcasts and there'll be stuff in there that's you know a little tangential that we would all normally spend 10 minutes on this podcast but it's getting it's getting out of control so there might be times in this podcast where we'll direct you to the daily instead for yes. the, that analysis. When we need more time, it goes to the daily. So go check it out. PFF NFL daily. Click that subscribe button. Give us the old five-star review, please. We just, we love the reviews. It helps. Or maybe you hate it. You can give us one star, but go with five. No, you can't. No, no you can't. You go can't. with five only. It's not, <laughs> five not stars only. Go check out the daily right now. Now, let's get into, now that you're back to the, the, 
the mothership the big podcast here let's do everything week 14 all of the action starting with thursday night new england patriots at the los angeles rams will super bowl rematch sam what are you looking for in this game I think this is a pretty fascinating game overall. Um, we know that the Patriots have a history of doing a really good job on this Rams offense. Obviously, the Super Bowl being the most uh, famous iteration of that, but it's happened a couple of times now. Um, and then the Rams are the team with the nasty defense right now. Like that defense from Los Angeles is scaring pretty much everybody, but where their best is against the pass like whether it's rushing the pass with Aaron Donald whether it's the phenomenal guys on the back end Jalen Ramsey and the knock-on effect that he has to Troy Hill to Darius Williams the safeties but the Patriots don't really have a passing game right now so it's actually what can that Los Angeles defense do against the New England run game um, and it's probably going to need to be a pretty good job if the history of Belichick versus McVeigh is anything to go by yeah, it's so when the when the Patriots have the ball, and some of you have already seen this game, it's Thursday night football, but when the Patriots have the ball, and by the way, the Rams are favored by five as of right. record time right now. Five points. I know it's at home and all that stuff, and the Rams are good. But when the Patriots have the ball, they're gonna want to run the ball because the Rams like to play too high. They almost invite you to run. How much will the Rams adjust? that game plan the Rams strength this year is just in the past game not allowing those downfield passes as we've talked about quite a bit here and I can't wait to see on the other side Jared Goff struggles a few weeks ago against the Miami Dolphins it's the second straight year or second straight matchup here where there's been some sort of blueprint for Belichick going into a Rams McVay Goff matchup where Brian Flores as you mentioned <laughs> dusted off the Super Bowl game plan did a great job against him do the Rams at this point, do they have an answer for the zero blitzes? Which doesn't happen all the time, but they Patriots, the Bel Belichick, they pick their spots or quarters coverage or the stacked defensive front that they ran in the Super Bowl to slow down the run game. So as far as X's and O's, matchups and adjustments, it's one of the it's probably one of the better games of the season when you yeah. have McVay Belichick too here. So um, hopefully it was a great game. If you already watched it, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, do you think New England pulls the upset here? That's a rare, they're a rare underdog here. Um, no, I still like the Rams to win. I think they're just better across the board. But I do think that, like schematically or matchup wise, it actually it does favor New England a lot. We've already seen that, you know, in terms of Belichick versus McVay, Belichick wins, right? He has the number so far, um, which means that Rams defense is the important part. They need to be able to stop the New England offense and the, the way they're strong in the pass game, it doesn't really matter because the Patriots aren't really passing the ball right now. So can they pivot? Can they adjust and, you know, deliberately shut down that run game? And if they do, does it open up anything on the back end to suddenly expose those guys? So I think schematically it does actually favor New England, but I think the Rams just have more talent. So let's say talent wins out, even if it's closer than five points. Agree on the talent thing. I can't wait to see how McVay tries to attack this Patriots defense. I like New England, though. I think they're rolling right now. I think they are they put themselves in a, a, a hole that's going to be tough for them to make the playoffs. But, man, they, they need to win out here. Most likely win out the Patriots. And I think they, uh, I think they tease a little playoff push here with a win okay. against the Rams. So we'll see what happens Thursday night. Let's get into some of the big games, a lot of big games this weekend starting with sunday night football you're gonna wait all day for sunday night sam pittsburgh steelers at the buffalo bills what a turn of events because we haven't been able to cover the pittsburgh loss to the football team 
But now Buffalo's favored by two and a half. We're sitting here all year telling you that the Steelers are not they're not the best team in the NFL. Stop just looking at the record. They're a little overrated. They haven't played a ton of good teams. They lose to the football team, and all of a sudden they're two-and-a-half-point underdogs against the Buffalo Bills, who absolutely rolled against the 49ers on Monday Night Football. Yeah, that feels like a little bit of an overreaction. It would make sense if home field advantage was still a big thing this year. True. You know, and it was a sort of three-point uh, home bump in your favor, but it isn't, so that it, that's not explaining it. Um, I, look, the Pittsburgh game against Washington – that was coming right we've been saying that Pittsburgh wasn't as good but specifically we were saying that look they were pissed off having to play that game on a short week you know Washington was in good form anyway it felt like a kind of a trap game anyway now I thought that trap might be hey it's a close game that they still get out of with a win but it was enough of a trap game that they dropped it entirely and drop being the operative word because for the second week running the Pittsburgh Steelers dropped a ton of passes I think they had six this week, five the week before. They've had way more than anybody else over a, a two-week period. And they're not as explosive as the Kansas City Chiefs to the point where they can afford to make that many mistakes on offense. Like, one of the things we said is Kansas City can make a ton of mistakes because they're so explosive it doesn't matter, right? Their margin for error is so big. Pittsburgh's isn't. Like, they, they have talented playmakers, but they can't leave that many plays on the table and still come out of a game with a win, particularly if they're going to turn it over as well. Um, the people so, in Pittsburgh are looking for answers for that offense, right? I mean, they threw the ball a ton. It's been a short passing game all year. They're, the running game, they didn't even try to run the ball, really, against right. Washington. It looked like an analytics-y type of attack, right? Pass, pass, pass. But when you don't catch the ball and you go from it should be second and three and it's second and ten because of drops, I mean, that is what really crushed, I think, the Pittsburgh offense the other day. What is the opposite of uh, an irresistible force meets an immovable object? Because that's what's going to happen in this game in terms of the run game. Resistible versus movable? Yeah. I mean, the Pittsburgh Steelers can't really run the ball, and Buffalo doesn't even try and stop the run. So <laughs> somewhere, something in that has got to give, right? Something, something either, has to. Either Pittsburgh rediscovers a ground game because Buffalo is giving it to them, or even with <laughs> some or Buffalo's run defense remains amazing because Pittsburgh's rush attack just isn't there I, i've discussed this with pittsburgh folks a little bit this week right so the, what pittsburgh is wrong folks. pittsburgh folks right huh? pittsburgh radio folks okay when they get into so they, they were asking me hey they were like hey analytics dudes like what would you pass every single down like what's your deal what's your cutoff and we've actually had this our own philosophical discussion on this too right i think the bottom line is on third and short it's still more favorable to run you just probably want to spread out more and you know win the box count and all that stuff the steelers I think there's two things about Big Ben that kind of hamstring this offense, right? He doesn't like using play action. Like, just doesn't like doing it. Doesn't like turning his back to the offense. Um, he's bad at RPOs. He's bad at he's bad at cheat code stuff or doesn't want to do cheat code stuff. Well, this is the Aaron Rodgers discussion, right? It's but, like, there's, but there's I'm, one more. And he doesn't – in the QB sneak thing. Yeah. Right? And they go, they go empty on third and one all the time. And it's you just – like, you have to – get open and make a pass on th instead of just falling forward at 260 pounds. Go ahead. Yeah, the Rodgers thing we talked about. Yeah, at some point, Rodgers, that was one of the stories, is that he just didn't like a bunch of these things that are sort of free plays, cheat codes for offense that just make your life easier, right? And it might make your life more uncomfortable, but it also, it's a net win because it's harder for the defense than it is for you, right? Um, but Rodgers for years didn't like running these things, and Roethlisberger doesn't like doing them. The Packers changed. 
they have shifted. Rodgers has made that adjustment. He's adjusted with the offense, and suddenly that offense is almost unstoppable. Pittsburgh haven't. But Roethlisberger still doesn't want to do it, so they don't run play action. So you just miss out on a giant chunk of free percentage points. It, that's all it is. You're just making your offense voluntarily less efficient because you don't like doing the thing that makes it more efficient. That's fine, but that now means that you need to be a lot better at the stuff that you do like doing, and he hasn't been. Uh, you know my feeling on balance on offense? It's the ability to throw short, throw deep, throw at the intermediate level. The Steelers offense, I think to this point, has just been lacking the deep ball. Big Ben adjusted completion percentage of only 33. That's tied for 32nd, 33%. Tied for 32nd in the NFL. That's where they need the balance offensively. Uh, Bud Dupree missed the game the other day. Alex Highsmith was fine uh, as his replacement. They've got linebacker inju injuries. Robert Spillane hurt, but Avery Williamson has been back in and playing pretty well since coming over from the Jets. I think the Steelers are still fine. They're still a good all-around team. Mm -hmm. Vegas, though, believes that the Bills are a better team, apparently. Two-and-a-half-point favorites. I think the Bills have shown the last couple weeks that they do have a good all-around team. The defense is still capable. We use that word a lot. They're capable. Josh Allen is streaky, which I tweeted the other night, and, you know, the Mafia. The Mafia was not happy about that. So mm. I went to the other extreme and just called him a cyborg from another planet. They liked that one. Yeah. Right. They didn't mm -hmm. catch the... Yeah. But, anyway... Uh, I tried to compliment Josh Allen, and they're like, you didn't even compliment him right. I can't even compliment Josh Allen right. I called him streaky. Is he not streaky? His I mean, high-end games are incredible this year, but he, he's had five of them. I don't want to piss him off again because me and Bill's Mafia are on good terms right now. tight. But they're not that nuanced, you know? It's like Josh Allen, good <laughs> versus bad. You know, there's, there's nothing in the middle. They're so you're, you're, either, you're either praising him or you're criticizing him. There's, there's nothing in the middle. And the, you criticize him. The funny thing is, listen. Not everybody listens, believe it or not, not everybody listens to every word that you and I say. You know, you catch snippets and all, believe it or not. So there are some people who, because of your signing the apology letter, mm -hmm. think that that was me and they like, I've gotten some, some grace. No, you didn't say anything. You ripped it up. You are, you are on the shit list. But there are some people who just, you know, they don't distinguish uh, Sam and Steve and who did. Like, they don't remember everything that happened. So some people have given me grace from Bill's Mafia mm -hmm. and said, no, you're good now. Nope. And then other people... They remember. Either yeah. way, Josh Allen was awesome the other night against the 49ers. And when he's on, plus the play calling, man, they yeah. do such a good job of attacking weaknesses, passing in run-first situations, and putting Josh Allen in position to succeed with all those playmakers. This offense is really tough to stop. There's been talk that the Buffalo Bills are the second-best team in the AFC. Um, it feels like that's contingent on that Josh Allen like the one that was sure. playing on Monday night and the one that played for you know the four-game streak earlier in the season, they need that level of Josh Allen for that to be true, I think. Um, if Josh Allen is the guy that played in the other games, which is better than last year, but not massively better than last year, um, I don't know that they're better than the Steelers. So this feels like, a this, the line feels like a reaction to, look, Pittsburgh dropped that game, they're not as good as we thought they were, and Josh Allen just looks superhuman on Monday Night Football. If either of those two things stops happening in this next game, this is probably not – that line probably isn't accurate. Like, either Josh Allen plays a little bit worse, which shaves a couple of points off, and I mean that in – not in uh, not in the – not in Josh the, Allen point-shaving. Yeah, not in the conspiratorial, underhanded, you know, type of way. Just in the, you know, slices a couple of points off the line. Uh, or if Pittsburgh 
gets a shock of, oh, crap, we actually need to, you know, get ourselves together. Otherwise, we're going to lose the number one seed to the Chiefs and bounce us back to, like, you know, catching footballs, et cetera, and not turning it over when those kinds of things. Um, then again, that, like, I, it feels like this is a little bit of a generous line. I would still favor Pittsburgh. Do you think do you think Vegas is overreacting to just the Monday night game in particular by Josh I, Allen? I think it's both put together is led to that. Either way, he's playing as a top seven quarterback, top six or seven quarterback in the NFL. Uh, next week on the PFF NFL Daily, one of the topics we've discussed hitting at some point is the quarterback class of 2018. I think a healthy debate, who would you take from that class of 2018? Is it Josh Allen? Is it Lamar Jackson? Is it Baker Mayfield? Sam Darnold is still, is he in the mix? Only, uh, <laughs> only Dan Orlovsky would take Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold would I still. I saw this morning, he's still he's tweeting. He's still taking He's Sam? still like, <laughs> like I, I didn't even look at it, but he had like one play. It's like, see, okay. he's still got it. The Sam people, will get it done. He goes, when you coach and staff. The people are begging for, no, we're not having a guest on the daily, but the people are begging for it. Dan might be the one exception I would make. If we got Dan to... to it's he, a 10-minute podcast. We don't have time for Dan he gets, to go off. He gets three minutes to defend Darnold. You get three minutes to defend one. I get three minutes to defend one. PFF NFL Daily. Let's make that happen next week. Stopsky, can we get Arlovsky on the phone? Thank you. That's how it works. Okay. Heard me. All right. Anyway, who, where are you going in this game? Pittsburgh and Buffalo. <sighs> Pittsburgh. I think that line is over Ooh, the top. But there. I can see a way. I mean, if Josh Allen plays the same way he did on Monday night, I could see it happening, but that's you know, it's not a not a given. I like if I was if I was putting money down, I think it'd be on Pittsburgh here as the underdogs because yeah. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they won. I think it'll be close. I I I also if if Pittsburgh had won the other day, I'd be all in on Buffalo. Just this, <laughs> I don't think Pittsburgh's going to go sixteen and zero type of type of deal. Yeah. But they already lost, so it's really tough to go. I also they feel like a team that will bounce back. You know, like I can, they've been sort of riding their luck for a while, thinking they were yeah. great in 11 and 0 and undefeated and on the way. And you drop a game to Washington, I could see that shocking you into like, you know, seriously paying attention the next week and not making a mess of things. I'm going to look, I'm going to lean Buffalo though in this one. I just want to say it is, I know the goal is to win championships. It is. It but is. I think it's still incredibly impressive that. The Dolphins, of course, went undefeated, but the Patriots went 16-0 and in the regular season. It is a very – it's only happened twice, mm. undefeated regular seasons. Um, there's a championship team every single year. But it is really tough to go undefeated in the regular season. Uh, just want to put that out there. So other really good games here in the AFC. we get the Baltimore Ravens and the Cleveland Browns on Monday Night Football. Yeah. Well, Monday Night Football Browns action here. So one-point spread – that is the Ravens are favored. Let's can we rehash what's happened over the last three weeks here? Three I, weeks. I mentioned this the other day, right? Baltimore was favored by Tennessee three weeks ago by six, uh -huh. and then Tennessee was favored over Cleveland by about six, right? So I, last week I said this: Does Vegas really believe using the transitive property here? Right? If A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C. Got it. Mm -hmm. Does Vegas really believe that the Ravens are about 10, 12 points better than the Browns based off those, those two numbers? And then what has changed? I know, I know football has been played since that point, but has, have things changed so drastically that all of a sudden it's a, it's a one-point game? The Browns have el been elevated that much and the Ravens have dropped that far that it's a one-point one game now? 
this might be the worst argument that you've ever constructed about anything. What do you mean? Well, for a start, that's not how lines work. It's not just like the line from one team versus another and then add them up and then, oh, that's the net for this next game. But there's, Secondly, an, but there's an element to it. It's not, it's not like it's, it's not perfect, but it's close. Secondly, there have been some pretty significant things to have happened since then. For so, a start, the entire of Baltimore got COVID. So secondly, does that affect them right now, this week? Secondly, they, it might. Secondly, the entire Browns just absolutely wrecked Tennessee. Sure, they were six-point dogs going in there. They then put up, what was it, 38-7 at the half? Like, they blew them out of the water. So those are some pretty significant events to have happened since your math that doesn't work anyway. Okay, even if the math isn't perfect, if, the, if, the, if this game was being played three weeks ago, what's the line? I don't know. It's probably a lot More closer than to it 10. Now. It's probably closer to 10 than it is 1. To me, the most interesting thing is that the last time these teams played in week 1, it was 38 to 6. So, whatever about the the line versus 2 weeks ago versus in a roundabout way that doesn't actually work in real terms. Week they're 1 saying, is like a different season. They're though. saying that this went from a 32-point win to a 1-point game in the last 12 weeks that's more realistic though because week one is like a whole different world yes having said that so the interesting thing is obviously the both teams have moved right baltimore has regressed and cleveland has gotten better from where they were earlier earlier in the season and as impressive as last week was much of this cleveland turnaround has been built against in fact even this week has been built against really bad defenses and the two really good defenses they faced baltimore and pittsburgh have each resulted in a 30 plus point loss and baker mayfield looking awful and lost so that to me is the more interesting thing is that the two times we've seen baker mayfield the browns against elite defenses he has looked ridiculously bad and the offense has done nothing um and the defense is, isn't great anyway so for this to be a one point game vegas is a hundred percent convinced that Baker Mayfield and the Browns have their shit together to the point where that's not, no longer a factor, even against a team that confused the living hell out of him in week one. That's a hell of a statement for them to be making. I hate to doubt the Browns every single week because it feels like that's where I'm at. We doubted them last week, and man, did they, they came through against the Titans. Dominant game. Yeah, it got close toward the end. But they were fantastic for the most part, especially offensively. But I'm, I think I'm with you on this, though. I'm leaning... The Ravens, the Ra until he solves a Ravens defense or a Pittsburgh defense, I still have question marks about Baker in this offense. He has played, man, he's played so much better mm -hmm. without OBJ. Um, I had a bold take earlier in the season, before the season, that Baker Mayfield would grade better than Lamar Jackson, which I didn't feel great about, but I said it. And it's true at this point. Now, I didn't also know that Josh Allen would be grading the best <laughs> out of that group. I'm not perfect. But currently, right now, PFF grades Baker Mayfield number 12, Lamar Jackson's number 21. Now, my question for you, which we'll talk about more ne next week, I think, on the daily, Lamar, is, is this the Lamar that we expected coming out? Last year, is last year just an yeah. anomaly, just like Carson Wentz in his second year was an anomaly, the MVP caliber season, Lamar was MVP last year. This is a good passer in Lamar, not great. He's fine. He's he's an outstanding runner that puts pressure on the defense. He, they create open throws, and he creates offense. How much of last year is an anomaly at this point for the MVP? He's so hard to bucket like that because 
in a way that isn't true for pretty much any other quarterback, Taysom Hill, I guess. Um, he is intrinsically linked with the offense that's built around him and not just around him, but built built upon him, right? The entire offense rests on the foundation piece that is Lamar Jackson's rushing ability. And when that's firing and when the offense therefore takes advantage of all those things he can do and becomes this unstoppable rushing juggernaut, it opens up all kinds of things for Lamar Jackson to have basically a really easy life as a passer. Um, and we saw that last season that his some of his numbers were absurd. And in any normal offense, you would say, well, that's just an easy regression candidate next year, right? Those numbers are completely unsustainable. There's no way they can continue the way they are. He's going to come back down to earth and look worse. With Lamar, it's slightly different because you can say, well, okay, but the, the reason he's having those absurd numbers is because of the running system that's built on his ability to change numbers at the point of attack and do all kinds of things that that just basically screw up a defense right, right. and those things don't those things aren't going to go away in a way that just simple regression is going to in terms of passing efficiency um the problem is they have because of about four different other factors right offensive linemen you know marshall yanda retires guys like ronnie stanley get hurt the offensive line is not anywhere near where it was a year ago that's a big thing the offense has grown a little bit stale this uh, all the kudos that a Greg Roman gets for designing this system and building it in the first place. Not the first time he's done it, but also not the first time it's stagnated after a year or two and hasn't kicked on and hasn't developed the iteration that we keep talking about. Version 2.0, version 3.0 hasn't happened yet. So it's easier for defenses to deal with. And you probably have the fact that, oh, he's also been injured, by the way. That's another factor. And then you also have what is probably some regression hitting him from the passing standpoint as well. So you've got like tight ends tight ends have gone missing hurt injured traded away whatever it's not the same four four or five different things have impacted this offense and all of that together has led to this big regression from him as a passer but i don't know how many of them are permanent in a way that they would be with a carson wentz or whatever that's a pretty thoughtful answer sam thank you on the other side cleveland's offense they remain the top pass blocking team top run blocking team yes in pff grades love it love watching the play love watching that offensive line on paper we keep talking about this ravens defense as good but when it comes to the trenches bottom half of the league in uh, pass rush grade bottom half of the league and run defense grade are we just at the point of the season where we have a much better feel for what the browns are as a as a, as a rushing attack also in week one just didn't look like what we thought the Browns offense was going to look like. We thought they were going to run the ball a lot and run play action and boots and all these things that they have started to do in recent weeks much better with Baker. Week one just felt off and odd, and, and I would kind of want to throw it out. But a lot of that cause, is because they got in a hole, and then the offense, like this offense yeah. is not built to chase from behind in a hole. They got down early, and they had to try and dig their way out of it, and that sort of throws out the window, the running attack and the play action, all those kinds of things that they want to run. Here's the big concern, right? Baker Mayfield basically has three bad games this year. They were the week one Baltimore Ravens passing grade of 55, the week five Indianapolis Colts uh, 53 passing grade, and the week six uh, Pittsburgh Steelers 32 passing grade. Those are the three legit defenses he's faced this year. Every other defense has been various shades of not great. Um, I guess Philadelphia, if you want to be generous, you can say Philadelphia has, still has a good defensive front. They can't really cover anyone in the back end, but that's I wouldn't call them good. Huh? I wouldn't call them good. Okay, though. well, then he's faced three good defenses, and he's been bad in all three games. 
again, for you to say this is a one-point game, and you, Vegas, you, not you, not um, for you to say this is a one-point game, you have to say that the all the, the all the evidence we have of Baker Mayfield playing against good defenses is meaningless this week, which feels like a stretch. Yeah, I mean, he really hasn't played, played a whole lot of good defenses, but um, I think I think Cleveland's going to run the ball better. I think I think it's going to be a closer game. I do think we've overreacted. Well, though. yeah, it was a 32-point loss the last time. I would imagine it would be closer this the time. The last game doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. It doesn't. I, I like Baltimore in this one, though. I it, like Baltimore, um, but I think it's going to be a lot closer. Man, I pick against Cleveland every week. Uh, the reason it we matters, keep the though, Browns fans around. The reason week one matters is because, not because they just got beat down by the Ravens, who were better than they were. It's because that defense confused Baker Mayfield and made him lean into all of the negative things that he's been working so hard to eliminate over the rest of the season the excuse would be though first game new system sure preseason we didn't have all that stuff maybe that maybe that's part of the fact that he's the high, well, third highest graded quarterback over the last few weeks uh-huh right i mean he also it, played the houston texans the jacksonville jaguars and the tennessee titans that's, a, that's over anybody that's a big part of it too all right, I'll take the Ravens here. Uh, Cleveland's also been flexed to Sunday Night Football, I believe, in Week 15. So we're yeah. gonna have back-to-back prime primetime Browns games. Here's the thing: I, I expect Baltimore to win this game, um, and I expect them to cover on the basis that I think one point is kind of crazy based off the evidence that we have for both teams so far. But if Cleveland can keep this close, if Cleveland—I mean, if they won, obviously—but if they can even just keep it close and threaten to cover that line, we can't cover that. It's like, if they can just keep it close then um, that's a statement in and of itself that this team is actually for real and can play with even bad matchups against them like this year. That, I think, is a huge step forward. Last year, or last week, rather, they were underdogs. They absolutely stomped the Titans. That was a huge statement game. This is the opportunity for another you're, statement game without even winning it. You're telling me if the 9-3 and three Browns yes. can just hang yes. with the 7-5 and five Ravens, yes. the 9-3 and three Browns are making a statement. Yes. Because this is a horrible schematic matchup for them. For Let's Baker go back Mayfield. to point differential for the Browns. <laughs> the Ravens' point differential screams better than seven and five. By the way, sure. Um, I just forget how good the two teams are in a vacuum. Just the Ravens are a bad matchup for Cleveland. If Cleveland can mitigate that and come out of this game having looked pretty good. I think that's a big game for them. That I'm good with. I, I want to see Kevin Stefanski in this offense and the defense. I want to see how well they do against quote-unquote bad matchups. That, that's like the next step for this team as far as proving themselves. I'll agree with that point. Both taking the Ravens in that one. Uh, another awesome game in the AFC, Indianapolis Colts at the Las Vegas Raiders. The Raiders, I'm sorry, the Vegases, the Vegas lines makers, mm -hmm. get Indy by three. Yeah. Indy by three on the road here. Uh, the Vegas Raiders, a very curious team the yeah. last few weeks. Why don't you go back three weeks and tell me why the line's wrong? Because there's not a, <laughs> a very specific trend that happened. The, I would say that the, the Raiders are becoming... What could have happened in the last two weeks that would make Vegas doubt the Raiders? There was a point in... So college football team. We talked about this before. College football teams do this all the time, right? They play one game a week. They play one game against a great team. And they look great. And then they have ups and downs. And, you know, they play down to the competition, up to the competition. Is that the Raiders at this point? Because, man, they just got smoked by the Falcons. And then it took 
an excellent play against a, a reasonable play call by Greg Williams hmm. to beat the Jets on Sunday. Amy Amy Trask has some serious thoughts on the yeah. Greg Williams play call, by and the way. Funnily, the they don't really align with yours. I can't, I can't imagine why. We could be agreeable yeah, and disagree, uh -huh. as she's going to explain to us. What do you even make of the Raiders right now? They lost their Super Bowl to the Chiefs in Week 11. Yeah. They lost to the Falcons 43-6 to and then snuck by the Jets 31-28. to What do we even make of the Raiders? It feels like you almost get a do-over in one of those bad games. Or, uh, you know, just you can throw it out, right? The, the Falcons game felt like the price. That, throw that out. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It, throw it, the film out, burn it. Right. It's it felt over. like the price you pay for having had your Super Bowl game the week before against the Chiefs, which unfortunately you didn't even want win. But that was like you you did, you put everything on the field for that game. And next week it's like, all right, we're probably going to come down to earth and get our ass kicked, almost regardless of who it's against. And they did, right? The week after that, when you face the Jets, the fact that you couldn't bounce back that week, that's more concerning. Like, the Jets suck. They're bad across the board. Sam Darnold is not helping that offense either. They were worse than they would have been if Joe Flacco was the quarterback. And you still required one of the worst play calls in NFL history to sneak the win at the end. Um, like they, So that, I think, is a big reason. The other part is I don't think the... Raiders match up particularly well with Indianapolis. I think it's, again, it's just a bad matchup when you look at strength, where the strengths and weaknesses of both teams are. Um, Phillip Rivers tends to play pretty well if you don't get pressure on him, and the Raiders don't get a ton of pressure on anybody. The Raiders' defense generally is not great. So Phillip Rivers should have a pretty easy day at the office. The Colts should be able to move the ball. And then the other side, like Indianapolis actually has a good defense. They're one of the three good defenses we talked about of Cleveland having played. So... Derek Carr and the Raiders are probably going to have some struggles. So it just feels like it's it feels like the Colts are better on both sides of the ball in terms of the respective matchup. Cleveland Furl had his two this is amazing. For his first two sacks of the season last week, both strip sacks, by far the best pass rush grade of his career, but it is really tough. Uh Max Crosby leads the team with 33 pressures. Furl has 30 uh, Carl Nassib with 23, Arden Key with 20. I mean, they're, they're, it's just nobody's nobody's instilling fear up front for the Raiders, right, other than Furl's two strip sacks last week against Mekhi Becton. They need to be able to get some level of pressure on Phillip Rivers. That has been a part of the game changer, I think, with Rivers this season. And then Rivers is still – oh, man, I love it. Never, He hasn't had an average game yet. <laughs> he is yet to have – an average football game let me see it's uh four games under 60 and everything else has been 70 or above nothing in the 60s yet for philip rivers and again when he plays poorly generally they lose they were one and three when he plays well they've been okay it comes down to rivers at least he's in a dome here in vegas to get the mm. vegas dome which will help and rivers generally this year has done a pretty good job spreading the ball around making plays and uh been pretty good for a guy our age yeah. So you like Indy in this one, huh? I do. See, I think I think this is where Vegas comes back. This is where Gruden gets them back on track. It's a big game. They're going to play up to the Colts. Yeah? Okay. This this would this is my question about the Gruden Raiders so far. I is it it's it's the Rex Ryan you know deal that he had a couple years ago with the Jets playing up and down to your competition i think it's going to be a good game we're going to come out of this game and be like man look out the raiders are dangerous they're sneaky in the playoffs they just beat the colts that's what i think 
is coming out of this game. They're on the outside looking in now. They got some work to do. Those last well, yeah, two they're going to beat were, the Colts, and yeah, those last two games were really uh, well. The Jets game was a win, by the way. That counts favorably toward right. the standings. But losing to Atlanta and then struggling to the Jets is so, has really hurt them. So the Raiders are seven and five, and you know they're keeping a close eye. So that's the other thing too. They're one game behind the Colts who are tied for the a the Colts and Titans are tied for the AFC South lead. It's a massive game for both teams with playoff implications because if the Raiders win, all of a sudden they're tied with the Colts in a battle for the wild card with a tiebreaker. So it's a huge game for both teams with the playoff implications. The Ra uh, Ravens, we already mentioned, are also 7-5. and five. The Ravens also look like a team that at least wins three out of their next four games. Yeah. So the margin of error for the Raiders, they're, they're, not, they're no longer allowed to have this roller coaster ride they can't do it so um just a weird team man they beat the they beat the chiefs they beat the saints and almost beat the chiefs again almost beat the chiefs again lose to the falcons uh need some consistency there that would have been insane by the way you mentioned the chiefs going undefeated except for the raiders and following zero and two against them right the the one thing i will say as far as playing to Derek carr's skill set zone heavy defense by the colts they make you be patient and throw the underneath stuff. A car can, a car will do that, but you still have to. You got to take those chances over the top and, and make some plays. I also didn't think Carr looked good against the Jets last week until that last throw. He was very fidgety in the pocket. I think he's got to play a cleaner game, but I'm expecting him to do it. I'm taking Vegas in this one. Okay. You got Indy? Yeah. They covering the three? Uh, no. All right. Cool. All right. Let's go through the rest of the slate. We're going to give you one thing to watch in each game sound good okay. something to watch for in every single game this this also could have been a game of the week kansas city chiefs yeah. at the miami dolphins weird stuff happens in miami where the chiefs are favored by seven this is a terrible week to have like a full 16 game slate because honestly like the next five games are still pretty interesting They're still really good there's a um, lot of good football to be had here this is fascinating because miami is what eight and, what are they eight and three now eight and four yeah um Miami is like in the playoff picture and if there has been a defense that has caused Patrick Mahomes to look human it's New England um, and Bill Belichick and obviously Miami as we've talked about is New England South like Brian Flores is doing an incredible job looks like the only coach to come out of that tree that has actually been able to bring the system with him and it looks the same um, so like if if he's able to cause Patrick Mahomes to struggle relatively right to look like a normal quarterback and instead of 35 points coming up against you, it's going to be 20, 22, 20, you know, whatever. Now it becomes like, does, is, does Tua have enough in his bag to put up some points against the Kansas City defense, which is, you know, reasonable, but not scary. Right. Yeah, it's, it's a good one, man, because Mahomes has no doubt he's had his worst games against the Patriots as far as him, right? And this is what I keep going back to, Mahomes and this offense. The, the Kansas City offensive floor is so high because of the playmakers and because of the play calling. So even when Mahomes had a 40-something grade against the Patriots back in week four, he had two tap pass touchdowns, has a passer rating of 108, and the playmakers make plays. So they still find a way to put points on the board. But still, if you're going to tell me, hey, Patrick Mahomes might grade in the 60s PFF-wise, you're giving yourself a shot yeah. to win. And of all the defensive schemes, systems, you know, mines. Brian Flores has been on the teams that have made him, you know, just create enough indecision in Mahomes where he's made some bad decisions or maybe not found open receivers as quite as easily. So I could see them, again, with their, their tight man coverage scheme, the way Xavier Howard's playing, Byron Jones. They have 
maybe the pieces to slow down the Kansas City offense a little bit. Plus, it's weird, weird stuff happens in Miami. Weird stuff <laughs> weird down there. Stuff Never know. Miami. All right. I can't wait to see this matchup. It's going to be great. Seven points? Is that rich? It's not. I mean, it's the Chiefs, right? Right. I mean, it makes sense, but I can, like I say, I can easily see a way that Miami does keep it closer than that. All right. You got Kansas City winning, though? Yeah. Obviously. I'll take Kansas City to win. Is it? Oh, man. I, two is going to have to play better, though. Yes. That's the thing. He actually needs to have a good game. He, uh, he hasn't thrown an interception. He's got five turnover-worthy plays, a 60 PFF grade so far. He's going to have to actually play better in this one. I'm taking the Chiefs. I think I'd take Miami to cover, though. I would bet on some... They also need that all that craziness that's been happening to defensive scores, special teams. That would help. But this should be another good game. Uh, Washington football team at the San Francisco 49ers, kind of. It's in Arizona. Yeah. Um, it's also a week of revenge games, by the way. There's a lot of these. A lot of them? A lot of revenge games this week. Okay. This is a Trent Williams revenge game. Trent <laughs> yeah. Williams, San Francisco left tackle against the uh, the football team. Niners are favored by three and a half against the football team who just upset the best team in the NFL, the Steelers. This is a great example of how quickly things can change, though. Like a week, even a week ago, you would be looking at these games, the next two, Washington against San Francisco in Arizona and Arizona against the New York Giants. And you just chalk them up as a win for the team that isn't in the NFC East, right? Um, like the NFC East doesn't win against other conference or other divisions. They're not going to win these games. You're suddenly, so sad right now. You are so sad. Well, suddenly Washington upset Pittsburgh. The Giants upset Seattle. And you're like, okay. Now they're going up against, you know, one of the worst teams in that division. I mean, it's a good division, but like one of the, not the best team in the division, right? You're like, all right, this is this is life. Suddenly, this is actually a game that could be close, and you could see a way that they sneak that win. Can we just let's just pretend it's week five right now, mm -hmm. and the last four weeks of action are Didn't all happen. we've seen, right? And this oh. is this is why you should not react to three weeks, four weeks, five weeks. The Giants are four and zero. Oh here in week five because they, they've won four in a row Washington's won three in a row so they're three and one or you know maybe they had a bye they're three and oh we would be sitting here in week four or five saying the Giants might be one of the best teams in the NFL Washington might be one of the best teams in the NFL it's just the ebbs and flows of the season they're they're playing pretty well right now but they're still both five and seven and Washington now is the only team in the NFC East with a positive point differential going back to that again yeah, and the Giants one in particular, like look at their wins. It's two NFC East teams, the Bengals, and who didn't even have... In Seattle. Yes, and Seattle, right? So that's what I'm saying. Like the conversation becomes a lot different if you're like, hey, look at the Giants with their one good win. Um, it's They've won some games and it's impressive. It's a good turnaround, but look at the competition. But getting back to Washington, that defensive line is nasty. It is legit. They're going to cause the 49ers some problems but they're going to face an offense in San Francisco that's just unlike anything else in the NFL so how much is here's the question right if you're facing the 49ers offense where do you want to be strong on defense because the Rams have like an elite coverage unit and it just didn't matter because they don't even test your coverage unit they throw underneath it um but equally they're going to be pretty good at mitigating what you do on the defensive line with similar things like where where do you need to be strong on defense to upset this this system in the middle the one place where nobody is strong yeah i mean i, I think the shanahan scheme just put, puts linebackers on a string and it just puts a ton of pressure on your linebackers and safeties it, it puts them into conflict i think that's where you want to be 
strongest. You do have to have some level of run-stopping ability, though. But again, I think the people that have slowed down a Shanahan and McVay, McVay offense, very rarely... Th this goes back to the, you know, the run game discussion, too. How many times do you go back and like, well, they shut down the run game because this one guy did a thing. You, you shut down the run game because of something schematically, right? We talked about Belichick. They, they pulled out a whole new defensive front to stop the run game. So stopping the Shanahan run game is going to come down to something schematically, but as far as having personnel, you want it to be in the middle of the field. I don't know that it matters, though, because Nick Mullins is still holding that, that offense back. I thought the, you were going to say he was, you know, elite. You saw the stat? Oh, gosh. The stat that the most passing yards per game or the f most passing yards in their first 13 starts. Yeah, which is probably extended to 14, given like the garbage time yes. yards he put up in Patrick that game. Patrick Mahomes, Andrew Luke, Andrew Luck, and Nick Mullins. Yes. I thought Kurt Warner would have been up there. Somebody's going to go check that. Check Kurt Warner's first 13 starts because he had to be up there. But it's crazy. It's like 275 yards per game in Nick Mullins' career. Not that yeah. it matters, but it's just crazy that that has happened. But there was the turn of events in the Buffalo game the other day, right? He false starts on a QB sneak and then has another chance to throw a touchdown from the six and basically throws a pick, right? I mean, those, those are the plays that are holding down the 49ers offense. Say what you want about Jimmy Garoppolo. This offense was more efficient, was just better with Jimmy Garoppolo at the helm. Went healthy. Not this year. Jimmy played banged up quite a bit. But last year, Jimmy Garoppolo, this offense was better. So that makes me doubt the Niners. They're favored by three and a half. I don't like it. Alex Smith is a quiet winner, man. He just finds a way. A just finds winner. a way. Stop it. If you're gonna believe, if you don't want to believe in QB wins, just look at Alex Smith's history. There's something to it. He takes care of the football. He went one and fifteen his first sixteen since starts. that point. Since he since he turned things around. Since about 2011, <laughs> Alex Smith just wins football games, and he's gonna do it again here. Football Mullins team. did have a PFF grade of 82 in that game on Monday night. Um, I think he can function. I mean, he's he's definitely not a great quarterback. Like a stat that puts him in the top three in all of all time, along with. Andrew Luck and Patrick Mahomes is clearly a stat that says something other than elite quarterback play is driving this. Um, but I think he can function this offense and make a tick. And I don't really love how Washington matches up with this offense. I mean, John Bostick is one of their linebackers. You don't think Kyle Shanahan is going to paint a giant bullseye on that guy? Yeah, probably. So you got, you got the Niners here. Yeah. All right. I'm taking, I'm taking the football team and Alex Smith. It's an Alex Smith revenge game too. Back to... Uh... You know, playing the Niners. Revenge everywhere. All right, so you mentioned that uh, old-school NFC East matchup, the Arizona Cardinals and the New York Giants. It's uh, Dave Craig and uh, Danny Cannell. Hmm. That's the matchup. Okay. Heads up here from, like, 1997. Arizona and the Giants. Arizona's favored by two and a half. I, I think the Arizona... I think the story in Arizona is as simple as Kyler Murray's shoulder injury and not running the ball nearly as much and the offense just not being the same the last three weeks. Yeah, and that's why this game, I think, is really interesting. Like, Washington made that a live game because of the Pittsburgh game, but this one, like, the Giants were impressive against Seattle. And I think, you know, it said as much about Seattle as it did the Giants, but you can make the same kind of points about Arizona, that they're not the team they've looked at times this season because Kyler Murray isn't 100% and they're not using him the same way. He had, I think, four design rushes in that game. Like, that needs to be at least double and more efficient when he's doing it um, the way it was earlier in the season. The Giants' defense has been really quite good. James Bradbury, poor guy, escapes the NFC South and then goes up against DK Metcalf and 
Uh, at least that's over. Oh, yeah, New Hopkins is coming to town, or you're going to his town. No, it is. He's coming to town. New Hopkins is coming to town. You got to do it two weeks in a row. So, but but he has been. James Bradbury's been playing really well against those high end receivers. I like the Giants' defense ability to keep this a pretty close game. And then it just comes down to, you know, can they function on offense? Yeah. So Daniel Jones, um, he's going to try to play. As of recording time right now, he has not been on the field. He's going to be on the field Thursday and Friday for practice. They're going to see how he moves around with that hamstring injury. They need him, essentially, I think, um, in this one. Colt McCoy, fun to watch. He's good. I mentioned last week I like watching guys with, you know, not great tools kind of get the job done. And he made a few throws last week, but... You just have zero trust with Colt McCoy. Yeah. It's like, okay, there's a game that he can have like that where it, it all goes well and you're good. But you, from at any given snap, you're just waiting for him to do something horrific. Did you know Daniel Jones has essentially been the best downfield thrower in the NFL this year? No. Adjusted completion percentage of 63. Passer rating, that's number, that's number one outside of Nick Mullins, by the way. <laughs> scheme, scheme. Uh, highest passer rating 143.1 highest adjusted completion percentage so uh, the only issue is Daniel Jones has only gone deep 7.5% of his attempts that's 34th so it's kind of like you take your shots when they're there but they've been able to create some chunk plays offensively for the Giants would it also surprise you because of the way the, the season goes Arizona a couple weeks ago were like oh they're battling for the NFC West title mm. with Seattle and, and the Rams they're 6-6 six and six one game ahead of the Giants now that's how quickly things have changed in the NFL since Thanksgiving essentially so Arizona's right, lost as, like a little as, bit of steam as farcical as that division has been for the entirety of the season basically the Giants are only one game worse right now than the wildcard teams right the Cardinals at six and six the Vikings at right six and like six. it looked it looked for a period that the five and eleven NFC East winner was going to be hosting an 11 and five wildcard team and that would have been pretty farcical now on they could end up with the same kind of record on the other hand let me just say the other teams that have the same record who would also be tied for first in the nfc east include the five and seven 49ers the five and seven bears and the five and seven lions yeah. so if those teams are in the nfc east right. they would be in first place and they're also one game they're also all one game out of the wild card but it's race. very plausible all of a sudden that the nfc east winner is a seven and nine team which is you know kind of silly but not absurd now it wasn't the five eleven and or five ten and one you were rooting well for. particularly if the wild card teams cool off or stay you know level off the way they have and you end up with something more akin to 500 making the the last wild card spot not not this group of 10 win teams all you know missing out on a, a home playoff game because there's a 5 and 11 team in the nfc east it is an impressive level of parity that the nfc has almost achieved they only have two teams with less than four wins the cowboys and eagles the afc has four the afc's got some you know disastrous teams on their side so anyway where are we going with this thing giants arizona i think arizona bounces back here i, I think it's really tough for the giant they're playing good defense but I think it's just really tough for them to sustain it. I think Arizona bounces back here with the win. Uh, I'm going to pick the Giants. Oh, boy. We're just disagreeing on everything. That's why it's such a fun week. There's a lot happening here. It's also, it's in New York. Cross-country yes. trip for Arizona. You always lean that way. Mm -hmm. Hey, guys. Life is full of questions. Like, what would happen to my family if something happened to me? Am I saving enough for retirement? And is now the right time to start thinking about life insurance? Just to name a few. 
No one should have to settle for answers to these life-altering questions that involve gray areas or leaving things to chance. And with Western and Southern, you won't have to. Backed by over 130 years of experience gathering insights, building strategies, and helping customers choose the right solutions, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser, products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. Minnesota Vikings at the Tampa Bay Bucks. Again, the six and six Vikings who are in the wild card race here. The Bucks are coming off their bye. They're seven and five. Um, I think the perception about these teams is just moving in the complete opposite direction. I wonder how much of that is simply based off the schedule. The Bucks just had to play the Saints, the Rams, and the Chiefs in the last few weeks. So the Bucks trending in the wrong direction. The Vikings beating up on some bad teams in recent weeks, creeping back into the playoff race. Vegas seems to believe, not necessarily buy into the, you know, differences in the way the teams are looking. They get the Bucks by six and a half here. In yeah, Bay. the Vikings have already proven me wrong because I said that they this improvement would take them to being the in the hunt graphic, but never actually into the playoff spots. They're in the playoff spots. They They're are in the it. last wild card spot as of now. I still don't think they'll make the playoffs because I think their schedule is worse than some of the teams below them. Um, but they made it into that spot. I this So I think Tampa Bay is a dramatically better team than Minnesota, right? Um, but the Vikings are dangerous enough in the right spots. And this is a, an interesting schematic matchup that I think could actually be quite close. So the last couple of weeks, I've been like, anyone favoring the Vikings by like a double-digit spread is out of their minds. There's no way they should be favored over anybody by that kind of margin. Equally, I don't know that you should be putting them like a touchdown down to most teams either because that offense can put up points in a hurry and the defense is still bad, but it, it it's, it's well coached. It has Mike Zimmer dialing up some pretty creative things. And... If there's one big issue that Tampa Bay has had on offense this season, it's when a team hits them with a game plan that finds a weakness in terms of scheme, in terms of um, what that offense does from an X's and O's standpoint. The Saints have done a really good job of that. I mean, Mike Zimmer should be able to cause problems for that offense. And if they haven't learned lessons from the New Orleans game, I could easily see a way that this Bucks offense struggles badly. The I, I did actually look up Brady against Zimmer defenses. There's three games since 2013 that they faced against each other. Uh, faced each other. Zimmer was the defensive coordinator in Cincinnati back in 2013. Uh, Brady had one of his worst games, uh, really of all time. He st struggled. There was a little bit of rain and some drops, but as far as throwing the ball, poor. Um, and then they, uh, the Patriots played the Vikings twice with Zimmer, 2014. Another average outing from Brady. And then 2018, another average outing from Brady where they were very conservative, threw the ball underneath. Uh, so, you know, sometimes you get quarterback coordinator matchups where it's like, man, this dude, like Brady always just torched the Steelers for the most part. And there were certain matchups that always worked well. The tough part is it is a different system. It's a different scheme. So it's really Brady and, and Arians and the Tampa Bay system up against Zimmer and who generally do a good job of avoiding giving up those big plays that Tampa Bay is trying to hit. So will it's another game where, like, will Tampa Bay take all the underneath stuff, take what's there, and pick their spots when it comes to taking shots down the field? So I think that matchup is a really good one. And if Zimmer can break their protection rules, do they have an out? 
do they have an outlet in the way they didn't against the New Orleans Saints. Yeah, the blitz game. They, they haven't wor- yeah. they haven't shown yet that they understand how to deal with either their protection schemes falling down or a team forcing them to pass the ball quicker than they want to. It's gonna. I think it's going to come down to Zimmer gets really creative on third down, the double-A gap stuff, all the different things that they throw at offenses. I would blitz like crazy and, and make Tampa Bay make those plays. Maybe you get burned, but that's like I feel like that's your chance of winning. And the Tampa Bay defense hasn't been great in recent weeks, too. How much of that is going up against those better offenses go, trying to stop Justin Jefferson and the Vikings passing attack is going to be a good one. This will be a that'll be a pretty fun matchup. Justin Jefferson against those physical, aggressive man coverage corners. Like the question mark on him coming out was can he get it done on the outside against press coverage? So far the answer has been a resounding hell yes. I mean, this is a, this is as good a team to test that against as anybody. And do does Minnesota just pound their head against the wall? Million Dalvin Cook carries against the de- Tampa Bay defense. I think when you're attacking them, generally you want to spread and throw, right? You don't necessarily want to run the ball thirty times against that defensive front. So should be a good one. Tampa Bay by six and a half. I'm having a tough time. Th- I think they win. I-, I really think Tampa Bay has a chance to win out go 11 and 5 change the perception of their season but i think this is probably their most challenging game of the last four i don't know if they cover the six and a half here uh, yeah i think they'll win as well but i definitely think the vikings cover that cameron dantzler has been an absolute stud in recent weeks the rookie corner for minnesota keep an eye on him against those good tampa bay receivers all right here we go new orleans saints at the philadelphia eagles it's Taysom hill against jalen hurts mm-hmm. we mentioned earlier pff nfl daily we go into great detail for 10 minutes Jalen Hurts, Carson Wentz. What does this mean for Carson Wentz getting benched here on the PFF NFL podcast? Let's focus more on the Hurts component and what does he bring to the table. Go listen to the daily for what we think about Carson Wentz. But today, Jalen Hurts, what does he actually bring to this Philadelphia offense? Uh, New Orleans is favored by seven in this one in Philly. And also, I think, so you sort of look at this and you're like, wow, the Saints defense has been on fire feels like kind of a harsh team to throw you know Jalen Hurts into as his first start I think that is not necessarily a coincidence and I think that kind of are you one on the conspiracy I've heard some conspiracy theories here no probably not depending on what your conspiracy theory is but my my take is yes this is an awful matchup for Jalen Hurts to be thrown at for his first start on the other hand it would have been an absolute train wreck with the way Carson Wentz is currently playing and they just don't they don't want any part of that right yeah. if Wentz is going to be your quarterback of the future which he almost has to be because of that contract like you don't let him don't give don't expose him to that like that's that's not going to help if he's broken if he's as broken as he looks right now throwing all the pieces into a blender and hoping they come out fixed is not likely to help matters so i honestly think they've sat him down because they took a look at the saints and said there's no Good way this goes. for the mental break right there's no way this goes anywhere other than south against this team let's put Jalen Hurts out there see if he does a better job and you know if not it was the Saints we we're always going to get a hiding anyway it doesn't hurt him either baseball reference we used to call this Colorado State-itis so color I mean Colorado Springs-itis Colorado Springs okay. when you played in Colorado Springs you're over a mile uh, above sea level the ball flies there uh-huh. the best ERA in Colorado Springs was like a six nobody wanted to pitch there so you'd always have a pitcher who'd be like, ah, just like, I, I think I just got to miss like a start. Just a start. I'm not that hurt, but I'm hurt enough to miss the next four games. That I can't possibly pitch in the Yeah, it's just, it's just a little twinge. Just a little twinge. I'll be back. When we get back home, I'm good. 
Mm-hmm. I just got a little twinge. Colorado Springs-itis. Yeah. Maybe that's what Wentz has right here. No, it, it's I mean, a I legit, it's a legit think, mental break for him, though, too. Yeah, but I don't even think it – I don't think it would be him doing it, right? No, I, think, I know. I'm just – I think this playing. is the coaching staff looking at this and saying, if we put him out there against the Saints the way he's playing right now, he's going to be like a just a gibbering wreck. We're not going to get anything out of this. So let's put in Hurts to see what happens. Like, there's no way it's worse than what Wentz is doing right now. So screw it. All right, well, I think Jalen Hurts – you know, he's got some work to do as a passer still. He can hit open throws. We saw that at Oklahoma. My question mark with Hurts as a quarterback has always been processing speed, the speed at which he just gets from one to two to three. I think he's got – I think you'll like Jalen Hurts the more you watch him. He's very yeah. Tyrodian. Because I don't like him a lot right now. He's a little Tyrod. Why not? I don't he's got think a lot he's of very good. He's the type of guy who will take a few sacks, a few, few more sacks than he should. He'll make up for it a little bit in the running game, whether designed or, or scrambling. And if you if you scheme up some open throws, he'll hit them. I think that's. I don't that's think Tyrod had ever ever had a problem working through progressions quickly though. I Jalen thought Tyrod was. It feels like everything he does is just to take slow. I thought Tyrod worked slow, and that's why he took so many sacks. He didn't throw over the middle. That's the other part. No, too. I see. I think he's of the Tavares Jackson mold of he just needed to see it open. Like I thought he yeah, I thought he worked it's fine. Kind of the same thing. No, it's not. It's very different. If if you work quickly through your progression. That's one thing. If you linger, if you can't work quickly through your progression, it's one problem. If you don't work quickly through your progression because you refuse to throw the ball until you see a receiver open, I think that's an entirely different problem. I, um, I think it, it leads to the same results, though. It might lead to the same you're holding result. the ball too long and you're taking too many sacks. Right. I think you get elements of that with Jalen Hurts that's going to show itself against this New Orleans front. But I do think one is a worse problem than the other. Okay, that's fine. Does Philly even have a shot here? Um, no. The shot would be the last. Taysom Hill's got three games. Yeah. Two in a dome right. against the Falcons, one outdoors against the Broncos. The outdoor game against the Broncos was rough. You get a pretty good pass rush still here in Philadelphia. So I don't know. I don't know if we get Taysom, the better, uh, good Taysom Hill here. I think they're going to rely on his legs here. In this well, one. the important thing is this is the game that tells us something, right? The first, the two games against Atlanta, the caveat being, hey, that's the Falcons' defense. Of course, he's going to look pretty good. And one game against Denver. And Denver's defense was really good, and Denver didn't have a quarterback. So that whole game was kind of weird. This is the game that should tell us something about Taysom Hill. It's, hey, Philadelphia's defense isn't great. It's reasonable. It's somewhere in the middle. So how does Taysom Hill function as an actual passing quarterback in this game? Yeah, it'll be a good one. It'll be good to see. I like the Saints. I think the Saints, it's tough to like, you don't really know what you're going to get with Jalen Hurts. And I think there's a chance that there's ugly offense with a few big plays, including the run game that just kind of like keeps Philadelphia in it. it it'd be tough to I would lean Saints by seven here but I think Phil I think you know weird stuff could happen in Philly this weekend too this game might also dictate how fast we see Drew Brees again like if Taysom Hill stinks it up that's true that Drew is Brees very true. 11 busted ribs yeah and I don't think they wanted to bring Brees you don't want to rush him back but I still think the Saints best bet is with Drew Brees at quarterback also the one thing to keep an eye on with Taysom Hill if you're at, if you have PFF Elite, go check out Taysom Hill's page on in Premium Stats. Go check out the fumble grade; it's red. Mm. The last like seven weeks, including games when he wasn't the starter at quarterback. So remember, we grade fumbles based off can you avoid it versus you know the strip sack that's kind of unavoidable. He's had some avoidable fumbles the last few weeks. I think that's my biggest question mark with with Taysom Hill going forward. So keep an eye on ball security in this one. I like the Saints to win. I don't love them to cover though. Jalen Hurts indecision here. 
I'll take him to cover and okay. to win. Go for it. Houston Texans at the Chicago Bears. Texans favored by one. Revenge game. Deshaun Watson, revenge game. He said it's not. He said oh. it's not a thing. I've got no ill will towards the Chicago Bears. Yeah, we'll see. Do I, do we play him in fantasy this week is the big question. Is he the – remember, Dab, Dabo called him Jordan, right? Hmm. If he's Jordan – He'll have taken that personally. He'll have taken this personally. Yeah. And he'll drop 404 touchdowns and, you know, you know we're going to win some fantasy games this weekend if, if he's really Jordan. We'll find yeah. out. Watson versus Trubisky here. The, uh, the class of 2017. Yeah, and the Bears have a legit defense, so he would need to he would need to take it personally to have like a ridiculously good game against Chicago because you know they they have the kind of defense that can limit him to something less than stellar that we've seen. It's also this is the kind of game where if you're going to get the bad Deshaun Watson game that hasn't come up yet this year, I mean this is a team it could come against. Uh, it is... didn't against Indianapolis, which was another team it could come up against. I'm sick of waiting for it. But if you're trying to plot one out in the schedule this would be a pretty good candidate for it watson's our number three graded quarterback we'll see if he can keep that up against the bears bears are i mean who the weird spot that we just mentioned they're a game behind all of the other wild card teams but at the same time they're tied with the lions and all these other teams at five and seven so it's not like i don't think they're really fighting for a playoff spot right but you're also at that point where if you all those teams are like if we went out right if you can go nine and seven you have a shot. So technically, the Bears are you know still playing for something. They're still I mean, alive, but they're trending the entire in the wrong direction. playoff picture gets blown to hell this week if the Cardinals do lose to Washington. Yeah, because <laughs> suddenly then they drop back to being in the mix with everybody else. The Vikings are presumably going to lose. Like nobody at that point from the the last wild card spot down will have a winning record. You could have a division winner and a wild card team yeah. at like 500 or worse. And at that point, it'll be just be madness in the last few weeks of the entire NFC essentially battling for that last wild card spot. Bottom line is that I think both sides, of, both conferences are top heavy. Four or five teams sure. that you feel good about. The rest is just a mess. Where are you leaning in, uh, besides Watson uh, revenge game here, J.J. Watt and Khalil Mack both on the field mm -hmm. at the same time, which I think is awesome. Uh, two of the best pass rushers of the last decade. So I'll be keeping an eye on those guys. Where are you leaning in this one? I think Chicago might sneak this out. Really? Yeah. I, that's a tough, We disagree again. That's a tough defense for Deshaun Watson. to Because, you know, the Texans are Deshaun Watson on his own, essentially. Yeah. That's a tough defense to ask him to do that on his own away. I just, yeah, I like Chicago. I was one week away from thinking, okay, the Watson regression starts now because of Will Fuller and all that stuff. But Chad Hansen shows up with 100 yards and uh, Kiki QT with the big plays. I'm going to buy into Houston this week, but still, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if the uh, the Watson game happens at some point. So let's go Atlanta Falcons at the Los Angeles Chargers. Falcons by two and a half against the Chargers. The four and eight Falcons, three and nine Chargers in this one. Matt Ryan versus Justin Herbert. It's the third outdoor game that they are outdoors, right? I typed that. SoFi. Thor third outdoor game? No, they're in that's indoors? I mean it's confused myself. It's like half, right? It's like open to the elements, but what it's do we in, count? That counts as, that counts as oh, that counts as outdoor, right? It's one of those convertible stadiums, right? It's got like the it's got like a sliding open door. Uh, I didn't check it before I typed in it, but the Falcons have played two outdoor games the entire season, just saying. Okay. Coming into this week. How about that? Uh huh. Where are you leaning in this one? Um, well, so last week was the kind of game that should have massive institutional changes for the Los Angeles Chargers. So, of course, they've responded by Anthony Lynn taking over special teams coaching, which ought to fix everything. 
Um, Okay. (laughs) Special teams was a train wreck last week. On the other hand, so were a lot of other things. So, I mean, the Chargers, they've gone from being this incredibly talented team that we wondered how they kept conspiring to lose these close games to just what is wrong with this mess right now? Like, everything is is a wreck. Now, this should at least be a bounce-back game for Justin Herbert, but... Like, this could easily be a monster shootout with both teams putting up a ton of points. Yeah, I I think I'd lean more toward the shootout. Uh, The Chargers, you know, Herbert's got those couple bad games we mentioned against the Belichick tree. I also say, you know, sometimes you watch defenses and it's like, man, the windows look really tight here. It just feels like they're playing with 14 dudes on the field. That was last week for Herbert, right? There's just nowhere to go. Then you have other defenses like the Falcons the last couple years where it feels like they're only playing with eight. So I think the windows are bigger. Herbert's going to bounce back, look good again. Uh, Matt Ryan, I think will. I think it's a head-to-head. You know, both teams scoring thirty type of game. I'm going to lean the Falcons, though. I'm going to say the Falcons. The Chargers continue to conspire to lose, as you like to say, mm-hmm. in the end here. Uh, the other question would be, though, we've talked about Herbert regression this whole season. Does it hit hard here? Does it hit really hard? Or really, or was it just you know tough games against the Dolphins and the Patriots? Or does it hit really hard here in the second half, and he looks a lot closer to what he was in Oregon, which is a guy with a lot of accuracy and decision making question marks here. I think he probably. I mean, it's the Falcons, right? <laughs> if Taysom Hill can look good, Justin Herbert should be able to carve them up, right? I would think so. Um, I like the Falcons. I don't know if I would take them to cover two and a half though. Uh, but I like the Falcons. I would, I'm picking the Falcons to win here. Yep, same. Cool. Green Bay at Detroit. Green Bay by 7.5. Uh, Detroit, first time uh, with Bevel as the head coach last week with the incredible comeback against the Chicago Bears. Can they at least make it a game here, division game against the Packers? Aaron Rodgers has just owned the Lions and Bears through the years here. Yeah, and my big question last week was, like, how much can they change on defense in the space of – 10 days essentially thanksgiving from firing and, and resetting everything and the answer is like not enough <laughs> right. mitchell trubisky and the bears put up 30 points um rogers should be able to just light them on fire as per usual it's going to be a work in progress for detroit obviously it, it's it's an off-season project more than it is something that's going to change in the middle of the season um so yeah i think I mean, the Packers are a good value for that. They're going to put up an absolute ton of points, and it's going to need a ridiculous Matthew Stafford effort to try and match them. Which he had last week. Five big-time throws, you know, had a 93-plus grade. We've seen two, uh, you know, we talk about the Rivers, um, Rivers being all over the place. We've seen two games in the 90s for Matthew Stafford. This is Folzian right here. Two games in the 90s this year. Nothing in the 80s. Nothing above 73.6 other than two games in the 90s. And then he's had four games under 60 as well. So Stafford has been kind of the roller coaster this year. I think if he plays one of those special type games, which I love, you know, I love my Stafford games. If he plays one of those, they've got a chance to compete here. But They always feel less likely without Kenny Galladay. And as of right now, it doesn't look like he's going to play. So that would be a problem. Yeah, in Detroit, I mean, the biggest issue in Detroit was, I think, coming into the year, could that secondary turn things around? And no, they could not so far this year so Packers by seven and a half in the dome they gonna cover that I think they might mm-hmm. both taking Green Bay and we're taking them big man division division games though you don't know it feels weird that we're one year removed from Detroit losing only because because of just weird stuff against Green Bay they really should have beaten them twice last year 
Yeah. One year removed from that. Phantom, was it holding or hands to the face? Illegal hands to the neck is what it was. Illegal hands to the neck is what I like to call it. Uh, New York Jets at the Seattle Seahawks. Seahawks favored by 13 and a half. We have now seen Russell Wilson grade horribly, play horribly, Mm. essentially. In three out of the last five games, is it a trend? I voted against the trend. I voted as it's just the bad games show up whenever they show up. They just happen to be three out of the last five. Good team to bounce back again against and it's the jamal adams revenge game here yeah this it russell wilson has kind of gone back to being the player he was before he eliminated those bad games like that that had been the change in him over the last two years that had kind of elevated into this patrick mahomesian plane of quarterback play if he's going to go back in the tank and start having those terrible russ games again that is a problem that it's a huge issue for him and for the team and the Seahawks in particular, the big takeaway from their season is they're just not good if Russell Wilson isn't playing like the best quarterback in the NFL. If he plays anything south of that, they're vulnerable to anybody because their defense is not great. Their offense outside of Russell isn't that great. They've got some impressive playmakers at receiver, but if he's not getting the ball to them and the offensive line is causing problems, they're just they're bad. So, yeah, it's um, it's – it's tough to, to to determine what's gone wrong with Russ. I always go back to when you have the elite quarterbacks at their best. How do you? How do you? What's the strategy? What was the strategy to beat Brady and Breeze and Rodgers and Peyton? All these guys, right? Mahomes. You kind of hope they have a bad day. I think that's where we are with Russell Wilson right now. I don't know if it's it's not like do this, run this coverage, disguise coverage. It's not even a thing that's slowing him down. But clearly. The thing that held him down years ago in those bad games was not seeing the field properly, right? And there were plays the other day where he's got open receivers and he's just not pulling the trigger. He's just not there. He's he's taking sacks. He's not seeing it well. I don't know how you, you know, attack that defensively. You just kind of hope he's still, you know, off just a little bit. But that's where he's been. The part of the revenge game here that won't be happening, though, is remember... Greg Williams said that Jamal Adams would be bored mm. in Seattle. Greg's not there anymore. Greg will not be here. Why anymore. Why is that the case, Steve? Why is Greg not there anymore? I'll let Amy tell you okay. at the end of the show. Okay. She'll tell you why he's not there anymore. Or what she would do. She actually did, said what she would do, given the uh, Greg Williams play call. So I'm interested to see what the Jets' defense looks like. You know, are they going to have the free safety in the parking lot still? Are they going to be blitzing like crazy in inopportune times? I, I'm expecting a big game across the board for Seattle. I mean, so it's Vegas, apparently 13, 13 and a half points for a team that just lost to the Giants. 13 and a half. Um, Jets fans, normally I talk about Trevor Lawrence. I'm going to give you a player to watch on your own team. Oh. Folo Fodakasi. Fodakasi. The interior defensive lineman. No Big nose tackle, who I just love. Over the last three years, the number three run defender in the NFL among defensive linemen behind Aaron Donald and Calais Campbell. Aaron Donald, but he can't defend the run. That's a whole different hmm. that's a whole different PFF daily right there, the Aaron Donald run game. But uh, watch Fadakasi stop the run. That's fun. Okay. It's not going to help him win, but it's something fun to watch. <laughs> uh, I'll take Seattle. Are they going to cover by two touchdowns? I'll take them to win. I, I think the Jets can cover that. Yeah, the Jets can definitely cover it. Seattle playing their weird games all the time, so who knows. Dallas at Cincinnati, which is, of course... Andy Dalton revenge game. Red rifle revenge. I don't think Andy Dalton Has believes revenge in revenge. In no, I don't think he does. <laughs> I don't think he does. He's going to be 
<laughs> he might yeah. throw a few to the Bengals just for old time's sake. Like that's where I feel. Oh, poor Andy. Andy is. He doesn't at this even point. have. He doesn't even have it in him to get revenge. To feel revenge. No, that's, Andy's all right. He's still a solid quarterback. I, I, I'm still, you know, I'm a little disappointed in what Dallas has still has done. I keep saying still, what they've done offensively with him at the helm. I thought they'd be. I don't think it'd be better than Dak, but I thought they'd be more reasonable than they have been. I mean, they're yeah. The, their offensive line though has just fallen to ribbons um they don't have anybody up front anymore like any the guys they were left with have got injured and they're just just nobody that i think is connor williams like the only guy left on that offensive line and he was the weak link like the weak link is the only thing remaining from the original offensive line now it's four weak four really weak links and a weak link hey i called connor williams having a breakout season another one of my year three guys well you were right he's the only guy that survived um he's so yeah so i think the offense of the offense generally makes sense to be worse than we expected it to be just because of how badly that offensive line has been hit the big issue is like the defense right we talked before about how run defense is is a it's a conscious decision almost it's just do you want to stop this or not and if you do just allocate the right number of bodies it turns out that only works if a guy doesn't like run out of his gap randomly to chase something else yeah it's like really bad. leighton vanderesh they literally had the thing schemed up for Lamar Jackson's touchdown. Leighton Vander Esch just randomly thought the ball was somewhere else and literally ran away from his gap, um, thinking that the running back had it. Like, just misread, essentially, the mesh point. These are basic, basic mistakes. In addition to being undermanned and just beaten up up front, like you're losing blocks when you are in the right gap, but that doesn't help when you, like, run away from your gap and completely undermine the defense. So Dallas's defense is miserable and, you know, should help Cincinnati actually function on offense, even with their own problems in terms of offensive line and quarterback and A.J. Green inexplicably still getting targets. This is your resistible force and movable option, really right? I mean, yeah. it's, the, it's the Bengals' offensive line against the, the Dallas uh, run defense that's forty uh, graded at 44.4, second worst in the NFL behind only the Bills. Um, so, I mean, again, the, the fact that the Bills are good shows that, hey, you can make do if you don't have a good run defense, but you, you need like a coverage unit or pass rush to kind of make up for it. Dallas definitely doesn't have the coverage unit either because they're, you know, bottom five there as well. So um, Bengals might have a little bit more success offensively here, but I think I think Dallas is the play here. I mean, they still have weapons. Dalton's a reasonable quarterback. They still have something to play for, I think is more perhaps more relevant. Yeah, that might be it as well. Three and nine Dallas Cowboys still have something to play for. It's not much, but they I think they still play two different NFC East teams that are ahead of them. They can still yeah. theoretically snatch the division in a way. Like Cincinnati has been playing for a high draft pick since Joe Burrow went down. I keep coming back to Dallas. Can't be this bad. They can't be. Yeah, no, they are. They, Troy they Aikman are. made the statement. on the. He said, I don't know where you go from here as a franchise. I'm not ready to go that far. I don't think it's that, you know, sad moving forward there's something great about like you know generally tv has pivoted this way in recent years where they used to steer away from getting guys commentating on the franchise that they used to play for yeah because it's you know not great sometimes um they seem to have gone the other way recently it's like michael actually, irvin openly right. rooting for the it's Cowboys. great having these guys emotionally invested in it and it's it's particularly funny for like the dallas people who come on and are just 
just destroyed by how wretched this team currently is that there was this super bowl juggernaut back when they were playing and now they can't even win a game they can't stop anybody it just it's a train wreck and you've got troy who goes into this like malaise of depression michael irvin who just starts like ranting at everything honestly they might be right it's good tv when those guys get those games now it is and then i think we've already i'm getting word someone i think the pff nfl daily might need a little discussion on dak as well so again go subscribe to the daily we'll t- we're going to talk about dak and what the cowboys should do this offseason and i think the season didn't go as i expected with dalton at the helm i thought if anything it was going to make the decision on dak more difficult it ha- it has in one way the fact that dallas is going to be picking in the top 10 more likely that has made the decision more difficult. So I think we can also the, unpack that one on the daily. Sample. It's also made it more difficult because his price went up. Well, that's what I mean. Like, on one hand, it was like, man, look at this offense without Dak. On the other hand, it's like, hmm, maybe we could get Justin Fields. So we'll break it down. I think the debate between a um, a rookie contract, rookie QB contract versus paying Dak all that money is at least worth an entire episode. Uh, a couple more games. Denver Broncos at the Carolina Panthers. This would be a Panthers Super Bowl revenge game. It's just revenge everywhere here, hmm. Sam. Panthers are favored by four at home against the Broncos. I will say, of all the games on the slate here, the playmakers on both sides, pretty good little matchup here if you're just looking at skill positions and the way the Broncos are, are developing their guys and the way the, the Panthers have deployed their resources. Dude, the Broncos' offense is starting to bum me out, though. The, the playmakers they have, Jerry Judy, Tim Patrick, uh, K.J. Hamler, the tight ends, Philip Lindsay out of the backfield, and all of them are being hamstrung right now by the fact that Drew Locke is the quarterback. And I'm not saying he can't become good, but he's nowhere near there yet. And as long as he's playing at this level, he is just crippling the performance of those other guys. Tim Patrick had a pretty good game last time. I love Tim Patrick. The he's one the dime that Drew Locke did throw was like a perfect pass into Patrick for a touchdown. But like Judy in particular, it's just getting like shut out because the ball can't find him it's absurd yeah I mean look they've they're they built that offense the way we would want a team built right yeah. as far as like these dudes are tough to cover you need somebody to distribute the football but their defense has been tough as well um I, it's it's one of those things because there's going to be a lot of head coaching decisions and all that stuff and I think philosophically how would you pick a coach and I think you might want to get an offensive guru and all that stuff but I think having a Vic Fangio you know overseeing the defense is great but then you have questions about when you grab that defensive coach is he aggressive enough is he going to be making the right game day decisions I don't know if Fangio's already kind of landed in that spot where like you don't trust him like they they punted on fourth and three against the Chiefs uh, the other day right they punted when they should have been going for it clear as day should have been going for it so you got a good defense Fangio's a big part of that but the game day decisions questionable they need um, to start seeing some signs of life from drew lock otherwise like they need yeah, to start moving on right? 57.9 grade not going to cut it i mean he's in the same boat as a, a sam donald at this point yeah. other than i think donald has shown better flashes and came in with higher expectations well and then lock perhaps more importantly the difference between the two of them right now is that denver is not in a position for a trevor lawrence off the back of this like right. Sam, the Sam Darnold thing is done and we know it's done because the Jets are on course for a top pick and a generational quarterback Denver are bad but they're four and eight bad they're nowhere near the top of this 
the top pyramid of this tree for for quarterbacks in the offseason. And if they were, the people in charge of making those decisions might not be there to make it happen. Are like, we going to make a call about Carson Wentz? Right now, in that right conference. now, Denver needs to see some signs of life from Drew Locke. Otherwise, they're in real trouble. Uh, a lot to unpack here this offseason, I think, for the Broncos. We'll have plenty to say about that. I think the skill position players are the people to watch in this one both sides of the ball i like carolina four might be rich i'm leading carolina even with the four yeah this could become a, a sneaky shootout too i mean denver's defense is is good but i like the way carolina's moving the ball and joe brady's calling plays so mm-hmm. all right last game tennessee titans at the jacksonville jaguars have you seen our number two graded receiver this year have you seen him yes who is it it's uh, future hall of famer Corey davis right how many how many how how long would he need to play now to make the hall of fame at this level given his relatively still another 10 to 12 years okay got a lot of years okay but it's like you know jimmy smith didn't become a star for the jaguars for a few years Mm -hmm. takes time for some of these guys yeah uh look i don't i don't think Corey davis is better than aj brown i don't believe that at this point but Corey davis the pending free agent now has made his price tag a little bit steeper i yeah. think on the open market and i you know i, I mean he's believe... resuscitated his career <laughs> I mean, he, he, was a, he was a legitimate punchline in terms of your prognostication skills he and wasn't now... that bad though he was even coming coming into the year he looked like a pretty good number two i don't know that much has changed there other than some opportunities and the scheme's been good and all that stuff he's a good number two he's a good two aj brown's the one it's the tennessee dudes against the jags not so good corners yeah um, that's what I'm keeping an eye on, by the way. I mean, last week, Tennessee got stomped because the physical freaks that they have, Derrick Henry, A.J. Brown, didn't fire. Um, Brown was fumbling the ball away. They got in a hole to the point where they weren't really using Derrick Henry. That shouldn't happen this week. <laughs> you right. should just be able business as usual, right? Back to both those guys dominating against Jacksonville. Yeah, the Jags have uh, they've struggled on the back end. You've got, you know. And the front end. And the front end. And the sides. Uh, you write up the, the uh, rookie report every yeah. week. Caleb on chase on their second first round pick. Uh-huh. He did not rush the passer well at LSU. Yeah. And he's not rushing well so far this year either. Up until last week, he had more weeks played than pressures. Last week, he finally jumped ahead in terms of like. Oh, yeah, that's tough to do. It is, right? That's really tough to do. He he's had got- five this past week, I think. And three, what did I say? Three of the five were clean up unblocked plays. Yeah. Um, and four out of six, if you count one that was nullified, like basically right. he's only getting pressure this year if you give it to him. I'm just saying as a Jags fan, these are the guys you're watching. You want to watch Chase on, you know, CJ Henderson's been banged up, but banged up. But you want to see life from those guys. But I like parts of the offense with DJ Chark and LaVisca Chenault and all that. And yeah. Mike Glennon's been okay when he's as, as the starter. Had the uh, turnover-worthy touchdown last week, Sam, through the defender's hands into LaVisca's hands for the Bounced touchdown. off the shoulder pad. You got my luckiest hands. pass of the week in my in my QB article. So seven and a half points for the Tennessee Titans. Do they get back to their dominant yeah, ways? I think so. I mean, I think, again, they, they rely on two physical freaks of athletes on offense. I think those two should sing against Jacksonville. By the way, Jackson- physical freaks? Three? Corey? Corey. Oh, okay, sorry. Three physical freaks. Well, two physical freaks and a Hall of Famer. Thank you. Um, yeah, that's much better. The Jags, who we thought were like untankable earlier in the season with Gardner Minshew, are all of a sudden 1-11, almost stole the number one overall pick spot last week at times during the afternoon from the Jets. 
Like, turns out they were they weren't tank proof. Now, okay, they pulled Minshew out of the lineup, which would help. But yeah, it turns out they're not tank proof at all. They're they're just that bad. I love that Austin is just sending us all PFF NFL daily topics. Wentz to Denver. We'll just have a different like Wentz to Indy, Wentz to Denver, Wentz to New England. We'll have a different show for each of them. Uh, he also suggested a Corey Davis victory lap. Maybe um, maybe in ten years on the daily when he makes it to the when the when the gold jacket. Well, maybe fitted. when when he does get fitted for his gold jacket, I would think that's a that, full pod. I well, no, no, I would think that at that point Corey Davis would f- call you up to be the guy that presents him. Oh, that's a good point. Right, that's a good point. I'm rooting for you, Corey. Just a thousand more receptions. And the guy that started the Hall of Fame campaign way back in, you know, 2017. His his last season of college, we uh, should be the one presenting his Hall of Fame jacket. It's good to, to see Corey playing well. Really nicely done. So we've mentioned the PFF NFL Daily. Go check that out. Uh, go check out Chris Collinsworth's podcast wherever you listen to this. He's been doing a great job with Richard Sherman as well. And now we're going to get to what we've been calling it, one of our favorite interviews, one of our favorite. Just quickly, um, Sherman also thinks you're an idiot about Greg Williams. Just, just put it out there. Okay, so if you want to get all the Greg Williams takes, there was me on Monday mm-hmm. giving my take on the zero. You point. thought it was a good idea. Amy's about to give you her take, and then Sherman gives his take right. on the PFF so, uh, Twitter account, but also on the And without Chris spoiling it, uh, nobody has agreed with you. And the Jets, by the way, didn't agree with you. They fired Hey, I went on the Dan Patrick show, and I, they, they didn't laugh at me. They, no? let me. they let me state my case, hmm. how it wasn't egregious. They probably laughed at you once you hung up. All right, let's get to Amy Trask, one of our very favorite interviews here on the PFF NFL podcast. All right, we are thrilled to welcome in Amy Trask, CBS Sports Analyst, former CEO of the Raiders. Amy, thank you for joining us today. I am thrilled, honored, delighted, or as my mom would say, tickled pink to join you. Thanks so much for having me. As a former CEO, why are you so positive and cheery <laughs> all the time and always saying hi to people on Twitter? Did I, That was your question, Sam. I'm sorry, but you're so positive all the time. Well, you know, I do have my moments. And by the way, I don't think it's mutually exclusive to be firm and strong and, uh, you know, a leader and yet also say hi to people. I love it. That's great. We're, I, I was really excited for this. We've had some some decent guests here. This I might be most excited for this, though. Uh, I'm sure you get a million questions about Al Davis and just that, you know, the history and, you know, just everything that he's brought to the table from a football standpoint but our generation knows him as the guy that likes the dude who runs 4-2 at the at the combine right so right can you expound upon that like what did al davis mean to football for our younger listeners what is his real legacy besides the guy who likes fast guys at the combine well you know some of the people listening will be raider fans others Will not, and that's putting it mildly. There will be some who are listening who really don't like the Raiders. Uh, there will be some people listening who appreciate and and respect and and liked Al Davis, and there will be some who who didn't. But I think if we're being intellectually honest, one thing on which everyone can agree is this was a man who was so far ahead of his times in terms of hiring in a diverse and inclusive manner. Uh, he hired without regard to race, gender, ethnicity, or any other individuality, which has no bearing whatsoever on whether one can do a job. And I was a beneficiary of that vision. He hired me, and boy, oh boy, when I say this, I realize some of your listeners weren't even born when I was hired. He hired me in the early part of the mid 80s. And that was a time when issues of women in sports and women in the NFL 
weren't even issues. They weren't topics. They weren't on anyone's radar screen and he just didn't care. It's actually incredible how far ahead of the game that is because that's that's a topic now, right? How the NFL is doing in terms of bringing women into the game, whether it's coaches, whether it's executives. Sarah Thomas is an official. You know, Beth Moans is, is uh, calling games now. How do you think the league is doing in terms of improving that area? Well, you're right. He was far, far, far ahead of his time. Um, look, there has been improvement since I joined. And again, I'll note, I joined the league decades and decades ago in, in the 80s. Uh, and, and when I walked into my first NFL owner team owners meeting, I was the only woman in the room. Now there's others. Uh, Jeannie Bunk with the Los Angeles Chargers, a very, very, very senior, magnificent executive there. Hannah Gordon with the San Francisco 49ers, an executive there who does a tremendous job. So there are other women now. And I'm going to answer your question, therefore, in two ways. A, it still isn't an overwhelming number, and it still isn't far enough in terms of race or gender or ethnicity or any of those individualities which have no bearing on whether one can do a job. But it is far better than when I joined. So has there been progress since I joined the league? Yes. Is there more progress to be made? Of course. How do you think that the league, you know, the, I think the biggest problem with that stuff is the league is trapped in this like old boys network, this cycle of just repeat hires and, you know, a, a very established pathway that they just keep falling into. How do they, do you think that they break that cycle well? Because they've kind of dabbled at it, right? The Rooney rule and now they're incentivizing teams to develop, quote unquote, you know, minority candidates or things like that. Have you got suggestions? Where do you think they well, should some go? Teams, some teams are doing things on their own without regard to league mandate. And, you know, there are a number of teams, but two that come to my mind are the San Francisco 49ers and the Los Angeles Rams. They are developing programs where people can join young and work their way up through the what's referred to as a pipeline, if you will. Um, you, you don't just wake up one day and walk in and say, I want to be a GM or I want to be a head coach. You've got to work your way into those positions. And those are two teams which are doing good jobs of allowing people to join at a young age and work their way up. And I think we'll see more and more of that as time goes on. Look, men, I think there should be such a thing. I hope there is ultimately such a thing as business Darwinism. And this goes beyond sports. This is to business in general. If you are a business and you don't hire without regard to any of those individualities I mentioned, race, gender, ethnicity, umpteen other differences, ultimately you should fail because by definition, you are eliminating vast, vast swaths of incredibly talented individuals. So if there is business Darwinism, the businesses which hire without regard to those issues should be the businesses that best succeed. And you know, the other thing I'll add to this, and it's the biggest misconception about Al, I'll turn to that in a minute, is diverse opinions, diverse thoughts, diverse ideas, diverse thought processes are so important to businesses. Echo chambers aren't healthy. 
disagreement is good. You know, you pointed out at the beginning that I say hi, and I, I like to be cheery with people and say hi. By the way, you can say hi in a non-cheery <laughs> manner sometimes. But the fact is, I do believe that disagreement is healthy, and disagreement can be productive. The biggest misconception about Al is that you couldn't disagree with him. If that were the case, I would have been fired roughly two weeks into my job. He walked into a room where I was sitting with a coworker, and he lit into that man like a velociraptor would rip into flesh is how I imagined it at the time. I mean, he just tore into this guy. And after a bit of time, I, I said, excuse me, you're wrong. And I'd only been employed by the team about two or three weeks, maybe two and a half weeks. And I won't bore you with the whole story. I wrote about it. But the fact is, after we argued back and forth and back and forth, and I pointed out to him that if the facts on which he were basing his conclusion were accurate, well, then it would be a fair conclusion. But he was basing his decision, his conclusion, on inaccurate data. And we screamed at one another. And after a while, he said to me, oh, okay, I got it, I got it. And we moved right along. And that set the tone for an almost 30 year working relationship in which we disagreed more than we agreed. <laughs> That's awesome, I love it. I was gonna say, is that is that part of your ability to earn respect? Just the, you know, because again, I agree with the echo chamber thing. How much do you think that is prevalent in, you know, businesses, football teams, team building and all that stuff, the echo chamber versus the idea of just having diverse opinions and ideas to try to get to the greater good. Everybody, you know, the ultimate just win baby, right? That's what you're all trying to get to. Right. Well, my observation is that it is prevalent in a lot of businesses, not simply in sports, and that the best businesses and the healthiest businesses are the ones which encourage disagreement. Now, one thing I always knew and I understood from that first disagreement through 30 years of disagreement, if you're going to disagree, bring your facts, bring your information, bring your data. Don't just disagree to be disagreeable. Disagree if you believe your position is right and do your best to explain it. Now look, ultimately I understood Al owned the team, I did not. So his word was going to be the final word. I would do all I could to convince him that he was wrong. And as I said, we disagreed more than we agreed. But at the end of the day, he got to make the decision because he owned the business. And it was then my job to effectuate that decision as best I could. Disagree and commit, as we like to say here at PFF. Right, as, as our, that's our boss, Neil Hornsby's mantra. That's what he, he goes with. Um, as far as I can tell, you got your start with the Raiders essentially cold calling them for an unpaid internship way, way back in the day. Were they your first call or did you almost live like a whole separate life in a law firm somewhere or working for a bank or, you know, was there another option that, that didn't pick um, up the phone? No, it was my first call when I was in graduate school. And I want to quickly note, because I did do an unpaid internship for the team, and I recognize how fortunate I was in that regard. Not everyone had the luxury, if you will, of being able to pick up the phone and say, right. I will be an intern and you don't have to pay me. And by the way, that's exactly how the conversation went. When I was in grad school, I picked up on the fact that others were having what they called internships and externships. I didn't understand what the difference was. I don't think I understand it to this day. <laughs> but I thought, wow, that's interesting. And I picked up the phone and I called the Raiders and I said, you know, I'd like to be an intern. They connected me with a gentleman who said, what's that? And I said, well, I'll work for you and you won't pay me. And he said, come on down. But again, <laughs> I recognize how fortunate I was 
that I that I had the luxury. Now the good news is kids today, they pay interns, not in the olden days. And I did have the good fortune of not having to be paid. And I recognize that good fortune, but today they pay you. So make that phone call. So where was, if that was your first phone call, you're like, I need an internship. I'm calling the Raiders. Were you already a football nut? How, where did that come from? Uh, I fell in love with the game of football in junior high. And I didn't come from a family of football nuts, to use your term. My family <laughs> watched the Super Bowl every year. Uh, they weren't, you know, nobody was usually home on Sundays. They were out and about. And I was the one who wanted to stay home and watch football because, as I said, I fell in love with the game in junior high. It is, um, it really is a game of chess. It's far more cerebral than many people know or you know give thought to its intellectual nature it's a game of matchups how does your pass rush match up against my pass protection how do your corners match up against my receivers how do my linebackers match up against your running game what do we have to do to maximize my 11 against your 11 to cover up for weaknesses in my 11 against your 11 and it's a game of chess played by very strong very fast very powerful men or to use the chess analogy, chess pieces. Fell in love with the game when I was in junior high, ended up in college. I, I'm from Los Angeles, grew up in Los Angeles, was in college at UC Berkeley, Cal Berkeley, and the Raiders were at the time in Oakland, which really was just down the road. And I fell in love with everything about the team. Look, men, in kindergarten, I was labeled a behavior problem. <laughs> and that label stuck with me through high school and many people would argue it is still with me today. I think it stuck with me throughout my years with the Raiders. Heck, I'm probably still a behavioral problem, but we should never label kindergartners. Let's just put that aside for a minute. Uh, well, here's this team down the road owned by a gentleman, Al Davis, who didn't care if you were a behavior problem. If you could play, he wanted you on his team and you could have been labeled a behavior problem by another team or teams. It didn't matter to Al. Come on here. I don't care what you wear. I don't care what you look like. I care what you do as a teammate. I care what you do as part of this organization. And I love that. And I remember watching the Raiders and, you know, back then you'd see other teams on the road for games, getting off the buses and they'd be in suits and ties. And then you'd see the Raiders stumble off the bus, just looking like the cat just dragged them in. And I love that. And I loved everything about the way Al gave first and second and third and fourth and sometimes more chances than people thought he should. I had been given extra chances when I didn't do well and I just fell in love with the Raiders. So when I came back down to Los Angeles for grad school, that was my first call for an internship. I think that's an Oakland thing. That's how the Oakland A's do it too. Every minor league team says you have to shave except the A's. They all have crazy well, big beards. It's an old Yeah, thing. and why would you need to shave? Right? Oh, you don't. It's it's a ridiculous thing. So I always grew a, a mustache, a ridiculous, terrible mustache. You did grow a ridiculous looking mustache. Because that's all they allowed. I, I love it. So CEO of the Raiders, what does that in, what does that entail? What was your day-to-day -day like? How much were you involved in team building stuff or just setting the culture? What was what does CEO entail when you, you know, when that was your job? Well, 
it's different at each of the 32 teams. A lot of times people say, well, what is, you know, what with any given topic, what does the NFL do or how does it work in the NFL? Well, the NFL is a collection of 32 teams and yeah. each of those 32 teams does things differently. So let me let you in on a little secret, men. The gentleman for whom I worked, Al Davis, he was very, very involved in our football operations. I don't know if you know that. Breaking he news here very, on the PFF yeah, NFL breaking podcast. Breaking news, breaking news. Uh, so really, you know, Al, you know, I remember a time when we were struggling as an organization. It was towards the end of Al's life, and there was a billboard that I drove under every day on the way home, and it said, Al, you've got to hire a GM. And I thought to myself every time I drove under it, they don't understand. He is the GM. And I don't mean they don't understand. Of course they understood. But, you know, my my err as I'm driving under the billboard was he is the GM. And you know what? That was his right to do. And he ran the football operations. He oversaw the football operations. The man was is in the Hall of Fame as a football man. So my responsibility skewed to the business side, finance, banking, um, business operations, marketing, um, community relationships, everything non-football. Al was very involved in that as well, though. There were times where people would say, well, Al's not going to be interested in whatever we do in such and such a business area. And I thought to myself, oh, yeah, he'll be interested and he'll have a few things to say about everything as well he should as the owner of the business. So if he was making all the decisions, which every, you know, he was a little hands-on, right? how much information did he take in was did he like having information did he like his scouts opinions was he on the road checking out prospects on his own how did he go about making those final calls that's a great question and by the way i want to make very clear i'm not criticizing him or or um you know throwing any shade so to speak by saying ultimately all the decisions were his because the fact of the matter is when you own a business you have ultimate authority and ultimate responsibility. And even those team owners that delegate authority and delegate responsibility have the ability to yank that back at any moment, proving the point that ultimately, ultimate authority and ultimate responsibility rest with ownership. Some just choose to be more involved on a day-to-day -day basis than others, and that is their right. As to your question, he loved information. He didn't always follow advice that was given, it's a nice way of putting it. He, <laughs> but he loved information. And if you could bring him information which made sense and which was valuable, he was going to listen. Ultimately, he would make the decision he would make, but he loved information. Do you think that John Gruden is the guy to bring the Raiders back to the promised land almost, what, 20 years almost since, since he almost did it the first time? Look, John is a good coach. And the team seems to be headed in the right direction. They've added some very, very good pieces. There's still some more pieces that are needed. But you know what? You could say that with respect to any team. No right. team has every single spot filled precisely as it would wish to have them filled. Uh, I think that the addition of Mike Mayock was tremendous to the team as well. I mean, look, obviously, and it's clear to everyone, John has ultimate authority. And Mike even acknowledged that when he took the job. John is running that operation. He's running that organization. And Mike noted when he took the job, look, I get it. John has final say, but it is my job to bring John all the information, all the options, and all the possibilities, understanding that at the end of the day, he'll make whatever choice he can. All of that said, I think Mike is bringing tremendous things to that organization, and it appears to be a good combination. You know, as to that final hurdle, 
Kansas City has that division well in hand again this year. Yeah. The Raiders are absolutely in the thick of things for a wild card. Big game coming up against Indianapolis. And there's some other, obviously, all important games to be played by all of the teams ultimately vying for those wild card spots. So we've talked a little bit about information and decision making and all that stuff. What are your thoughts on the general, what they're calling the analytics movement, right? There's more information than ever, but football's always been a game of information, right? And, you know, playing the odds and all that stuff. What are your thoughts on just having more information and how it's infiltrated football? Information is great. Why wouldn't someone making a decision want all information available? All the information that's possibly available, grab it and take that information and do with it as you wish in terms of balancing it. Look, analytics are a tool. If I go out to build a building, I'm gonna look at every tool in my toolbox to see how best I can build that building. You know, if I'm building a building, a house, an office building, whatever I'm building, I don't want a toolbox that just has a hammer or just has a screwdriver or just has a saw. I want every single tool imaginable in my toolbox. And then I'm going to use those tools as best I can in each and every opportunity or instance. So analytics are a tool. Of course you should avail yourself of every tool. And then what will distinguish people is how they choose to use different tools at different times. So along the same lines there, what is the best way to convey some of these messages because some of the analytics that are be being created here are i'm not a math nerd sam's not a math nerd but we work with some i mean we're talking people that are doing intense mathematical work and you know crazy charts and graphs are coming out of it how do you get say the best most advanced analytical work from a machine to conveying a message to an al davis a bill belichick or 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 john gruden whoever has to go and make that final decision how do you handle the messaging? Do you have any ideas on like that strategically? Sure, I think the messaging is to present it as, here is information. You can use this information to help guide your decision. And then explain what the information is. I don't think it should be presented as, you must follow this, or this is an absolute, because you're going to alienate some people when you present something as an absolute, that it must absolutely unequivocally be used. Present it as, just as I said, a tool. Look, here's this information, here's what we found out. Let's see how we can use this to help with decision-making. I would not present it as a, it must be, it's always going to be right, it's absolute, it is a tool. And there are some people who will feel it is a tool that should be leaned on or used more heavily than other tools. There will be others who say, yep, it's a tool and I'm gonna factor it into my analysis and I'm gonna factor it into my decision, but you know what? I'm gonna factor other things into my decision as well. What do I say, you know, look, let's say the analytics tell you on a certain play, you must do X, whatever X is. But you're the head coach and you're on the sideline and you realize that doing X involves using players A, B, and C and you noted that player C is struggling a little bit, or you noted that the weather is such that player B is having a lot of trouble, or you've noticed other things about the mood of the team or the tone of the game or you know, the condition of the field. Well, you know what? It's okay to factor that in too. 
I would present it as something that can be helpful, but not as something that is absolutely unequivocally the only answer. I think that's a great point. That's that's the kind of tone we've tried to talk about before on the podcast. All right, so we've we've done the the hardcore analytics, the the serious questions. Let's let's pivot to something a little less serious. There's a there's billions of people on Twitter. Everybody uses it, and you are one of the few individuals I can think of that has their own personal shtick. How how I, the high thing? Where did that come from? Particularly not a shtick. Go on, and then we'll get <laughs> particularly back. Particularly because a stop, just stop making her mad. Particularly because I didn't realize that there were multiple varieties. I didn't realize there was a a more aggressive or a passive aggressive variety of high as well. I thought they were just all happy go lucky highs. Oh, they really are on Twitter. It's when I do sometimes deliver one in person and okay, take okay. a little bit of a tone. All right, let me tell you the background. It is not a shtick. It's me being me. I have always loved saying hi to people, and I've done it for as long as I can remember. I walk by someone on the street, and we're passing one another. I say hi. I get into an elevator. There's people in the elevator. I say hi. I'm walking through a hotel lobby. I pass by someone. I say hi. Why wouldn't you say hi to someone that you walk by? Now, again, these are the olden days when we all used to be in elevators without masks and things like that, but right. you can still say hi through a mask. So I love saying hi on in real life. So I like saying hi on Twitter. Um, why wouldn't we say hi to someone? Let me tell you something I love about Twitter. We have the ability to interact with others throughout the entire world in real time. And we have the ability to have conversations and exchange thoughts and ideas and communicate with others throughout the world. Do I think it's okay to disagree? Absolutely, positively. But you can disagree agreeably. And something we do in our Twitter village is we exchange thoughts in a reasoned and reasonable manner. And when we disagree, we disagree agreeably. And I say hi, so now we all say hi a lot. And I will tell you men, in the few years I've been on Twitter, I can count on probably two hands the numbers of times someone has been really, really nasty in expressing disagreement. And in each of those instances, I have written back and said, you know what, fair enough, you disagree with me. That's fine. But you don't have to be mean when you disagree. And of course, I sound like a three-year-old saying, don't be mean to <laughs> me, but, you know, or a seven-year-old. I say, you don't have to be mean or nasty when you disagree. And less than one hand, the number of times that someone hasn't written back and said, you know what, you're right. I do disagree with you, but I didn't have to share it in a mean or nasty manner. Let's disagree agreeably. Well, think about what the world would be like if we all agreed that we would disagree agreeably and try to communicate to solve problems. And if Twitter allows us to do that, even on a teeny weeny 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 basis, well then yay Twitter. Yeah, you have a phenomenally positive outlook on Twitter compared with the experience that I it's think. It's because she sets the tone. Right, that you and I have, and I'm choosing not to investigate what that says about us and how we behave on Twitter. I suspect that that She's lies. fostered that environment. <laughs> Learn something. cause of all this. The other well, thing- and I do, and I'm sorry, but I do call people out. If you're yeah. gonna be mean, I'm gonna call you out and say, why do you need to be mean when you're telling me you disagree? Go ahead, disagree with me, but you don't have to be a jerk about it. And, and speaking of disagreement, Steve, Amy didn't think that Greg Williams' zero blitz was a good idea, like you seem to. Well, I mean, it's just, it wasn't as egregious as people said. <laughs> Amy, your thoughts on the, so, the all-out blitz? I just got so upset, I knocked the earpiece out, I tugged my hat over my Now head. we're going to disagree. 
agreeably. I, but we're going to disagree agreeably, and we're going to have an intellectual discussion about it. I thought that was one of the most absurd, <laughs> insane, I, I won't say incomprehensible decisions, because it was Greg Williams, so it was perfectly comprehensible. Right. I, look, let's get to a few things about it. I don't even know where to begin. I mean, you've got me at a loss for words. <laughs> I am so het up. But I will say this. That's how bad your take also, is, Steve. Well, you, you all, well, because here's something I will factor into it. And again, this is your analytics versus personnel and other issues coming together. I don't like the call under any circumstances in that particular situation at all. But now let's add to it that you left out on an island an undrafted rookie free agent asking him to cover in that instance. Now, first of all, I don't like the call as a whole, but to do that to that player is not fair to the player, is not fair to the team. And by the way, and I realize this is a little bit of an aside from what you asked, I recall an experience with the Raiders where we left someone out on a corner like that and it affected his confidence on a going forward basis for the rest of his career. I hope that is not the case with this player, but I digress. I thought that was the most idiotic defensive call imaginable in that circumstance. And yes, I'm happy for Raiders fans. I love you Raiders fans. But as I tweeted immediately after that play, if I were the Jets owner, I would have at that moment told Greg Williams, don't come back to the office. Which they essentially did. Yeah. <laughs> Which they listened Took to. Took him a day though. My, my only take on it, you know, the fact that I didn't think it was as egregious. If you do go through Greg Williams' history, there are there is evidence of that particular similar play call. There's no exact perfect situation, but plays inside the forty, touchdown or not or or or, not, or bust, where he's finished the game with uh, with sacks and with you know rushed passes and stuff like that. And I think the uh, uh, the execution of the play wasn't great. And I'm not blaming Lamar Jackson who was on the island. Even just like an add-on blitzer that should have been added there. I think he, I, I think Greg Williams, uh, the previous play he played coverage, I think he was viewing it as this is how Derek Carr is handling the blitz today. This is how he's handling pressure. I'm going to make him get the ball out of his hands. He had been horrible to that point in the game. I just, I don't think it was just like, uh, you know, just dial it up, just go. I'm Greg Williams. I'm going to blitz you like crazy. I think there was at least a little thought put behind it. Fair enough. Um, and we are disagreeing agreeably. I almost said Oakland, I would have had to put a dollar in, in my little jar. Um, <laughs> Las Vegas does have very, very, very good offensive line. And so notwithstanding yep. your point, which is fair about some troubles that they'd been having that day with, with you know, protecting and, and how Carr was performing, that is a very, very good offensive line. And they knew it was the last play of the game and they knew they had to give Carr a chance. You know, you could have sent one less man, you could have left someone deep just to to protect the backside. True. You could have played sticks. You could have watched the sideline to make sure no one got out of bounds. I mean, there were umpting things you could do. If you're going to do what Greg Williams did, you can't fail. It better work. Because you cost your team that game. Yeah. Look, I don't disagree with that. I just, I mostly disagree with the people who think it was like a tank job from, yes. from above. That, that, that's the yeah, part okay. that I... That, that's the part that I've somewhat facetiously pushed back on and that it's in Greg Williams' nature. He's done it before. He's had success. And there's there's at least some sound reasoning in there. I wouldn't make the play call. I wouldn't want to make the play call. I don't, you know, it is risky, but I just don't think it's like a tank from, you know, from the top. 
Okay, I agree. I absolutely unequivocally agree with you, um, period, full stop. I disagree with you on the play call. I think it was the stupidest play call known to mankind. Well, that might be a little bit of an overstatement. Stupidest play call possible in that situation. But I agree with you entirely. There was no tanking involved. There was no call from upstairs, no direction from anyone in the organization. Players don't tank. Coaches don't tank. In my experience in almost 30 years in the league, I never, ever, ever once heard of anyone in any organization suggesting that there should be a tank. That's not the way sports is. That's not the way the NFL is done. Um, And by the way, anybody who watched the Jets celebrating on certain plays and who watched them after that play, there was no tanking involved. Um, I know you have to go really quick. My wife agrees with you, right? Because she said, if you teach a team to lose, how are you ever going to get them back? How are you ever, once you do get your quarterback or whatever, how are you ever going to get them back? Do you agree with that as just like, you know, building a culture, right? Well, it's just anybody who's been part of or knows anything about sports knows athletes don't, it's it's just, that's not what happens in the NFL. So, and their jobs um, are on the line as they're doing this right 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 wise wife yes she's pretty smart so this was one of our favorite maybe the, our most favorite interview don't tell steve smith amy trask cbs <laughs> sports totally analyst. Telling steve smith. do not tell steve he was absolutely <laughs> our favorite i i do not let he can't get mad at me uh former okay. ceo of the raiders author of you negotiate like a girl reflections on a career in the national football league thank you amy so much for this thank you so much Thank you, guys, and I'm sorry I carried on at length on some things. You are fun to talk to. I could have gone on for hours. Well, we'll have to have you back maybe sometime this offseason. Deal. All right. Thank you, Amy. Special thanks to Amy. That was awesome. She was really great. She was. She was a fantastic interview. We should definitely, you know, we're talking about longer off-season interviews, getting Joe Thomas back once he doesn't have a hard out to pick up the kids. Right. Amy would be a great one. Like, you could talk Al Davis stories with Amy forever. I mean, right. she had an inside look at one of the most interesting and important people in NFC in NFL history. Whether you loved or hated Al Davis or just remember him as the dude that loves people that run a 4-2, like Al Davis was one of the most important people in the history of this sport. That guy yeah, went we need from- more, We need more of those stories. Yeah, I mean, he went from scout to coach to GM to owner. Right. Like the whole thing, he was commissioner of the AFL. He was a big reason behind the merger, albeit a merger that was kind of orchestrated behind his back. But like, he was literally one of the most important people behind what the NFL looks like right now. Maybe we get back to the long form, do a whole Al Davis episode mm-hmm. with all that research. They say that some of the best leaders are the ones who like start in the mailroom and work their way up. I feel like Amy has that about like you start as an intern and she's seen every step of the way through the top. So right. her insight as far as running an organization and all that stuff, absolutely invaluable. So again, thanks to Amy Trask. Thanks to everybody for listening and watching. We'll be back here on Monday morning reviewing all of the week 14 NFL action.